<laughs> Salt of the earth. Salt of the earth? Yeah. That's you not know, what you were a just man, saying. A man, <laughs> a man of the bar flies. Um, <laughs> I think a I might want to cut that one out. A future out. Sonate candidate. Yeah. <laughs> Sonate. This podcast brought to you by Sonate. Sonate beer. Which one is that? Mm, figure it out. <laughs> notes, in, no, notes in the bio. Yeah. Brought yeah. to you by Mitch McConnell. I don't want anything. Head of the Sonate. Oh, does it come with a... <laughs> it comes with an orphanage that's drowning in puppies. <laughs> I was on say, fire. does it come with a, 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 a complimentary sex traffic victim? Like this? <laughs> Yours, how is mine worse than yours? Yours is drowning, but it somehow seems worse. I want to know how his neck gets that way. Mm. Like, does it's he have to like stretch it out, or is that where Satan lives? This is my Satan's cough, and it keeps me warm. It keeps I'm, me warm with the fires of hell. Because I'm cold blooded. I'm a cold blooded lizard person. <laughs> He's part of the turtle club. Is everybody like your your neck looks great? Everybody around him that works with him, you have no, they just don't just, bring it up. Like, <laughs> you know, don't mention the neck. Yeah, uh, like, it's like it's like how you didn't mention Kaiser Wilhelm II's withered right hand. Mm-hmm. Just don't mention it. There, every once in a while, there's just that one guy like Yo Kaiser. What's with your hand? Bang. <laughs> would you get executed if you broke? No, it? Was no, he, no. Yeah, they and would just they like weren't... ship you somewhere. Yeah, right? yeah, you know that's that's one of the things. Like, yeah, you would have uh, you would have ended up in Tanganyika. Is right. it just, was it just like a claw? Was Basically, like, like, he, like, up like, yeah, claw? It, like it had withered. It, it was a birth defect, mm. um, and he like overcompensated. There's a whole bunch of like with an entire military. <laughs> there, there, there is some. Of, there's like, the biggest military in the world. That's part of it. But like for... even, but even like he overcompensated with he would shake hands left-handed, um, and and his left arm was a lot stronger, right? Because he couldn't use his right arm mm-hmm. for anything, so his left arm was really strong. Um, God damn it! It's been a long day. <laughs> you really <laughs> just just like there's. I'm getting. Yeah, I'm getting. This is terri- not innuendo. I'm getting right? terrible flashbacks to teaching thirteen year olds. But he would uh, he would shake hands with people and he would do the you know that douchebag thing of like crushing people's hands. But before uh, he would do that, he would also turn all of his rings inward too. Right, like, oh, and so he so would crush your hand, wow. and and you have an be, imprint of yeah. his like rings. On yeah, him. no, he was a he was a d bag. Like, <laughs> I don't like Kaiser Wilhelm the second. Was he the one who uh, took them into World War One? Yeah, mm. yeah, and and he, he, you know, one of my, uh, well, that's kind of like a. You can't just say he took. Them oh, he didn't. It. Like they, he's part of a state. You that know, being like, said, though, if he yeah. would have been like, no, yeah, he, they, everyone would have just stopped, right? Yeah. Like, yeah now, okay. And now, admittedly, no, there's no a there's a story, and I, it's possibly apocryphal. It probably didn't happen exactly this way, but I do think it sums it up really well. There's a story that um, you know Nicholas II and Kaiser Wilhelm and, and George V had exchanged telegrams during the July crisis to try to like to prevent world war one from happening and at one point it sounded like the british and the french were willing to sell the russians out 
Like that if if it was <laughs> just wowzers, changes. what a shock! If it, a uh, now, shock. admittedly, I don't think that that's actually true. Like when you when you look at the actual governments of Britain and France, they were like, we are going to honor our treaty obligations. But the Kaiser was interpreting messages that he had received from Britain as if we only mobilize against Russia, Britain and France will stay out of the war. Hmm. And the German war plans were to mobilize against France and Belgium first and deal with Russia second. Hmm. And they're in the middle of this plan and the Kaiser goes, well, this is our out. This is our off ramp. And he tells the chief of the German general staff, General Mocha, he goes, what if we just change the mobilization plan? What if we just send the army east? And Mulka very nearly breaks down into tears. Like, he's already very high strung. Like, he's ha- on the verge of a nervous breakdown anyway. And well, when you know when you know that you're about to initiate a course of events that will kill millions of people, yeah. it's, it's got to, you know, that'll he was, stress he, you out. He was not... not about that? He, yeah. Well, no, he did. There were other generals who didn't. He did not. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he, he, he definitely... More sensitive. Yeah, and, and he didn't... He had sort of before he'd been made chief of the general staff, so like, maybe this isn't a good idea for me to do this. But anyway, his response to the Kaiser going, what if we change everything, was, your highness, you do not improvise the movement of millions. Right. Uh, yeah. And and like and that ended the conversation, like according to this story. Now, again, it's... did he grab his hand and cr- <laughs> 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 Either that or he ordered him to wear a tutu. Okay, you do, you do, you do, you can. Oh, God. It's like, how dare you? Like, oh. the claws. It's, it's got the, the claws. <laughs> Fucking vice. Like. God, the hand that everybody clearly knows you jerk off with. Is so strong. <laughs> There's no question that. It's such a rough thing for people who only have one working hand, because everybody just knows, you know. And you have to shape their hand with the same hand, so everyone by default knows. (laughs) There's no switch hitting. (laughs) This is the same hand. (laughs) That's how he introduces himself to people. Just so for the listeners, I want to make this abundantly clear about Doctor History, moral scholar. He asked to do this. He wanted to be here. It's our job to make him as uncomfortable as possible. (laughs) And we do, listeners, we do it for you. We do it for the, well, for you and also, you know, the joy of the game. (laughs) You're listening to Laughing Historically with Adam Latz, Adam Cooney. Dr. History Scholar. Welcome to Laughing Historically. I'm your host, Adam Lax. And the ones and twos, we got... Adam Coonan. And we got Dr. History Moral Scholar. <laughs> <laughs> titles begin titles. It's true. You're going to have like 18 word titles by uh, the end. I, you know, there's... Emperor of Ethics. <laughs> <laughs> Grand Duke of Moral Probity. <laughs> Count of program <laughs> analysts. Actually, <laughs> uh, interestingly enough. Yeah. Uh, no, there's there's like 17-year-old me. It's like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, 17-year-old me didn't think anything was awesome. <laughs> but it sucks always. <laughs> Were you a moody 17-year-old? Uh, yeah, I was definitely like uh, overwhelmed by the very intrinsic injustice of life existing in and of itself. You know, 
he just like we're so inward like you just no no i was a very i would i would like have fun like to joke around go to parties and stuff like that but i would i was just you were hurting on the inside is that what you're saying well yeah but like just like everyone always (laughs) like it's like that's what i've learned as an adult is like my problems aren't really all that fucking unique you know what i mean like i heard this podcast and i might cut this out whatever we're 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 off the chain it's fine uh it was, I think it was Very Bad Wizards, and they were talking about... It was a show called Very Bad Wizards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, show um, But, <laughs> but uh, they were talking about the Russian author and wrote Anna Karenina and War and Peace. Uh, Leo Tolstoy. Tolstoy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tolstoy. Um, thank you. This is why we have a doctory history scholar, uh, <laughs> literature scholar. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, he was had this like let you know maybe it was a diary or a letter I can't exactly remember but he was talking about his thoughts on like just life mm-hmm. and existing, and he was like, I seem to have like gotten to the height of what one can achieve in their like ability, and for the last three to four years I felt that this writing thing was nothing but this unimportant like si- like way to keep myself busy under the like constant suffering of nihilism and that nothing matters and that like would would, like just basic very depressing stuff the years he's referring to is when he wrote war and peace and anna karina (laughs) he was like like, my writing was just bullshit who cares everything's gonna end you mean it's almost as if black care rarely sits behind a writer whose pace is fast enough are you saying you were channeling tolstoy at 17 years old (laughs) (laughs) i might be the uh I came from hippies. I can just claim I was reincarnated from him. Yeah. He died before I was <laughs> born. Yeah, yeah. I'm Tolstoy. Everyone else is Joan of Arc and Cleopatra, and you're Tolstoy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's yeah? What's we next got here? yeah. We got Post. this day in history. With <laughs> so, Doctor History, moral scholar. <laughs> so today is uh, July 16th, and we have an eclectic group okay uh so on this day in 1054 the great schism real quick um for the audience um you should probably define eclectic <laughs> just for the audience no <laughs> all right well we have a, we have a we have a we're gonna have a vocabulary list at the end of this show god i guess i'll have to do it you just hear my iphone we have a varied group <laughs> Philistines. Anyway, in 1054, the great schism between the Western Roman Catholic Church and Eastern Orthodox Church begins with a dubious papal bull of excommunication being proclaimed in the Hagia Sophia. The principal disagreements were about the nature of the Holy Spirit within the Trinity, what kind of bread to use in the Eucharist, and the relationship between Rome and Constantinople. Wait, the bread in the Eucharist? Yeah, like, should you use unleavened <laughs> bread? That was that was the that was part of the disagreement. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> like matzah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, the, they the, Catholic, to, the Catholic Church uses. Not, they're more like crackers. Um, they're more <laughs> like crackers. Yeah, they're they're wafers, but <laughs> yeah. they're unleavened. They're closer uh, to Ritz, I think, than they are to crack, matzah. Crackers but. eating crackers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So so that was that was one of the the disagreements, um, uh, and and I think that more more practically, it's the disagreement about. The relationship between Rome and Constantinople, in terms of who is in charge of whom. Um, now, admittedly, which one had the big cod piece? Yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> um, sorry, <laughs> <contest>. <laughs> that's probably not how you want that. <laughs> uh, 
Um, this is what I, happens I, when you put a Catholic, a Jew, and an atheist in a room. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. Now, and, and, and interestingly enough, we're not even in a bar. Um, <laughs> now, uh, in 1861, uh, Union troops at the order of Abraham Lincoln began marching towards what will become the Battle of First Bull Run. Oh. It will take them a whole three days. Uh, this is one of the wild things about the beginning of the Civil War. It takes the Union Army three days to march the 20 miles from D.C. to Manassas, um, wow. which uh, it, by the end of the war, Union armies are marching 20, 25 miles a day and doing it routinely over and over again. Um, and so it's just one of those things where, you know, clearly nobody knew what they were doing in July of 1861. Uh, uh, yakety sax was yeah. playing there over was, the... There uh, was a lot of yakety sax playing... <laughs> Uh, what, what is Yakety Sax? It's the Benny Hill theme. Oh. And he like chases women around. They go, ah! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and apparently... Uh, high humor right there. <laughs> but we're down here <laughs> in the gutter. <laughs> uh, apparently General Scott, uh, who is the commander of the commander in chief of the United States Army, you know, said to Abraham Lincoln, like, I'm I'm worried about this because all of our troops are green. They're they're raw, they haven't trained up yet. And Lincoln's response is, Your troops may be green, but their troops are green too. You're all green alike, basically being like, you know, we gotta we just gotta do this. Yeah. Uh Lincoln was incorrect, but you know, it was a good good try. Well, I, lo- I love how they, they they all had like different kinds of uniforms. Like I went to mm-hmm. the the Bull Run Museum or whatever, yeah. and they had like five different uniforms yeah. or some shit. Like actually, at the Wisconsin were wearing gray. What they were wearing gray. Okay, first of all, I didn't know that shit. But all right, <laughs> whatever. Uh, that being said, the Wisconsin, uh, I believe it was the third, helped mm-hmm. Sherman burn yeah. down Atlanta. So, <laughs> well, there was yeah. there was there was, a, there, there was a Wisconsin regiment at Bull Run under oh. under Sherman's command in his regiment, and they uh, apparently in the in the antebellum period, the regular army would wear green or not not green. The regular army would wear blue, and militia units would wear gray. Oh, sure. Yeah. So it was gray was a common color for. U.S. Army soldiers to wear huh. in the years before the Civil War. I mean, the cadets at West Point have mm-hmm. always worn gray yeah, uniforms. Oh, yeah. Like that is a normal oh, yeah. thing. Um, so the regiments, the regiment from Wisconsin in his brigade was wearing gray uniforms mm-hmm. because that was normal. And they act at one point are being shot at from both directions. <laughs> like the rest yeah, of the brigade of behind them is result. firing into yeah. them, thinking they're Confederates, yeah. and the Confederates know that they're. Union they, troops, they really so should have at. like nailed down the uniform yeah. before they well, started fighting. Quick, everybody like, change. <laughs> well, and that was, and then, and that was also the problem with the original Confederate flag, which is that um, it's the you know thirteen stars in the in the circle. Stars and bars. Yeah, and then the and but in smoke, it looks a lot like the U.S. flag. Uh. Like, and and that's one of the reasons why the the Southern Cross flag, the Confederate battle flag, got adopted. Because it's very distinctive from the U.S. flag, mm. right? Um, uh, it's actually, I actually have a fun fact for mm-hmm. this one. Um, the last flag the Confederacy adopted was the simplest in that it was f- all white. <laughs> <laughs> it was just white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm giving myself a little pat on the back for that one. Ooh, way to go, Eddie. And then, <laughs> lastly, in 1931, Emperor Haile Selassie signed the first constitution of Ethiopia. Uh, this gave most of the power to the office of the emperor. 
Hmm. Uh, it established that's, a, that's convenient. It is. It established a bicameral legislature and granted extraterritoriality to foreigners. Uh, so, so. All right. For the listeners, we like to own our mistakes. Uh, don't put a beer down on the table. That's holding the microphone's hands. Don't do that. Uh, Halle Celestia. Yeah. Uh, you can tease him for taking all the emperor powers, but correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, but he was one of four, like, essentially leaders during the colonial period to resist colonialism, right? In like, Africa or in general? Well, he's the only genuinely independent country in Africa yeah. yes. because the only yeah, other yeah, one yeah. that is independent is Liberia under mm. the protection of the oh, United States. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> um, uh, and then... Colonial from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, well, it's a it's a colonization experiment. Uh, it's like reverse colonization. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. the most... Holy shit, the most American Oh my God. Yeah. So, the... so you have you have those two countries in, in Africa and then in Asia, the only two... There's only like three countries that can maybe be defined as resisting imperial Japan, uh, Japan China and Thailand. Um, and China is, well, it's China an, got like, Oh no, no, up, like, yeah, that's true. Like you had the spheres of, uh, of influence, yeah. but what I mean by that, and I say technically, yeah. right. So yeah. it, you have the spheres of influence, you have unequal treaties, but they were never, it, when A you colony. compare, yeah. When you compare them to like India yeah, or yeah, yeah. Korea, uh, they they look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, and I, I, it's one of those things where I was thinking about this on the way here, and I'll I'll keep this I'll try to keep this digression short. But hey, whatever, it's a podcast, and we've got you're the editor. Twelve, it's your it's your problem. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but like the it's it's unfortunate because any like amount of uh, like a revolution that like entails freedom right mm-hmm. and like and some sort of liberal value some sort of like kind of mm-hmm. global humanist right like we can argue about the the specifics but the problem is that the the money and the powers that be in almost every one of those situations that i can think of mm-hmm. is going to force you into warfare yeah right like you don't have a choice you have to go into warfare and the most effective way to do warfare is a very strict hierarchy where everyone like you know what i mean with with like obviously like enough liberty to like change plans as things yeah. change on the battlefield but yeah, like but i think and 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 that that is absolutely but you get yeah. what i'm saying yeah, is that, that, that and that you can understand why a, a state would go mm-hmm. in that direction like everyone that's something that everyone says about lenin and there's a bunch mm-hmm. of shit i don't like about lenin there's a whole bunch but when people are like well he militarized the state i was like well he fucking had to militarize yeah. the state like yeah. i mean and, no and, one and, could have done anything differently. And, yeah. and, and, and yeah we'll limit this digression to you can understand why a state under siege essentially yeah. would would it would would move towards authoritarianism. Yeah. That being said, there is a reasonably long list of examples of counterexamples of of societies that were under siege, functionally under siege. That while they may have curtailed individual liberties, did not functionally change the system of government. Right, but uh, well, first and, of all, and preserved in the, in, the, in the colonial example that we're talking yeah, about, like there aren't any. No, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, there yeah, aren't they, any. There. They're they're doing what functionally works best for them mm. to not be a colony. Yeah. yeah. Right. So if you say, "Oh, he gave himself imperial powters," it's like, well, he, yeah, you would do. I, yeah. I don't know. There's a large yeah. swath of the world uh, and a lot of people I respect who view Haile Selassie as like mm-hmm. a demigod. 
Yeah, like either demigod or just, yeah. like right, right, like the, obviously the Rastafarian movement, but even just Africans yeah. who aren't like and, might be essentially it, Christian, look at him yeah. as like this beacon of like yeah. Well, and and, and I don't know, I, I I honestly I don't know a huge amount about him individually. I mean, from everything that I know, he was a reasonably effective leader, um, and I view him somewhat as a tragic figure in the sense that he's the one that goes to the he goes in person to the league of nations oh he does mm-hmm. uh to be mm-hmm. like you need to stop the italians from invading. a lot of colonial leaders did that like uh, uh ho chi Minh. well yeah but it? he but he wasn't recognized as a head of state yeah, this yeah. is in 1937 is like as the emperor of the yeah league and of he's nations, he's a yeah. Me- yeah ethiopia or abyssinia is a member of the league of nations they had signed the 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 League of Nations covenant, mm-hmm. and you know, and in that agreement is if any two members go to war with each other, the League is supposed to put a stop to it, yeah. right? Um, Defend and, the defender, yeah. basically. And yeah. and and Italy is very clearly the aggressor in the in this instance. Um, and and he, he said, yeah, he <laughs> said straight to their faces, mm-hmm. if you let them do this to us, mm-hmm. you're nothing. Exactly. Like the whole purpose for you existing mm-hmm. is obviously like yeah. like a sham and everyone mm-hmm. I you know obviously Yeah, and so that. and 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 the League of Nations had already been proven toothless when Japan walked out in 1931 over the over the invasion of Manchuria. Mm-hmm. Like they just literally and you can watch the it's that it, there's footage of it. Is like it they, really? and you can watch it and the rest of the league looks at each other like uh they're allowed to do that? <laughs> we can't do anything about that. Like they just get up and leave. Yeah. And the rest of the League of Nations is like, well, we can't do anything about that. And like they, the Italians saw that and went, you know, I guess we can, you know, now yeah, admittedly yeah. there's a bit of a gap. There's six years. So it's not exactly and, and, a one-to-one. No, but that thing. gap is important. Right? Is, because yeah. in the moment, mm-hmm. everyone looking at each other and being mm-hmm. like, well, shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? we didn't see this coming fine. Mm-hmm. But like, they could have done something. They could that. have. They yeah. could have embargoed Japanese goods. There's a bunch of things that they could have done. And I know eventually the U.S. did that, but like nobody gave, no one yeah. in the West gave a shit about Manchuria. Well, they, they, they didn't I, give a. But they, they didn't gave, care about Korea and a lot of the other places. Well, they uh, so they they did care. What they did they didn't care enough to go to war. That was the that was the bigger problem. And and the British and the French don't care enough to go to war over Czechoslovakia. Like yeah. and that's that's a lot closer to home, yeah. right? The Czechs and the Czechoslovak government, uh, you know, had essentially been told we will go to war over you, and mm-hmm. the British and the French still don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, they don't. But, but like, technically, everyone had been told that when they signed the charter. Uh, uh, yeah, the yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So shall we begin? Yeah, let's uh, yeah, yeah. end this digression. To today's yeah, I'll topic. cut the whole thing. We, it's all <laughs> cut. I am no, fascinated. What's that? <laughs> I am fascinated by your. Uh, digression into I was the League too. of Nations. God damn it. Are you being sarcastic? <laughs> I'm not. Are you being sarcastic? I, I'm sure our listeners would appreciate the inner workings of the, the League of Nations. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> all might not be wrong. We, we could, we could pull, pull them at the end of the show. <laughs> How much right. do you care about the League of Nations? Listen up. Everyone just answers the exact right amount. And then <laughs> so today we're going to talk about a man named Thomas Blood, the man who Thomas ha- Blood, Thomas Blood. Shut up. That's his name. This is probably not something I should say, but that's my mother's maiden name. <laughs> no, the, man, the man, the man, Blood. Yeah. yeah. The, the last, her maiden last name is Blood. Yeah. 
The man who okay. almost yeah, they were, stole they, the... They came from a long line Where does that come from? Scottish assassins. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know. So Thomas Blood, the man who almost stole the crown jewels of England. Okay. Almost? That's almost. I, listeners, I'm making a pact with you He's right got now. a full Woody right I, now. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I was going to say, but accurate, accurate. <laughs> No, I am going to look this up. If I'm related to this guy, I'm going to be so fucking excited. Are you Are you at all uh, Irish? <laughs> a smidge? No, then you might be. I'm literally as Irish as everyone else in the world, which That's is like fair. 2%. Yeah. They get around. <laughs> so, so Not a lot of Jewish Irish people. Actually, uh, Genghis Khan was actually a little Irish. So firstly, I need to shout out a history TikToker and YouTuber named Jay Draper. Uh, They're based in London, and they've worked in a lot of museums and historic sites, and they now offer tours of that city. Uh, And they also make, uh, they made a 60-second video about Thomas Blood, about the man we are going to talk about today. And the moment I watched it, I knew that we had to do an episode, because their description of this in 60 seconds, I'm just going... There's so much there. J J Draper. J the letter J and then Draper. Draper. All right. Uh, Uh For any of our listeners in the area, um, Mm -hmm. if you happen to be in that into this sort of thing, suck his dick. (laughs) Just give him. I don't think that's no. Is he married? Do you know his relationship? I'm pretty sure she's a woman. Maybe. Well, that's not what I asked. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, do you know if he's in a committed relationship? Uh, I I don't believe so. Right. I don't well, know. Listeners? Anyway, so anyone... Help uh, him out. <laughs> Probe, Probe out. Help yeah. him out. So I think she... I think she... Uh, I, uh, yeah. I, I, Wait, you're I, saying... That Jay, Jay Draper, Draper is not a man. Oh! That's... I'm the sexist. That's what's happening. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the wrong here. Yes. Well, get consent first. Uh, <laughs> God damn it. So... Um, then there's going to be a little bit of uh, a more digression because um, we need some background. So England, from the days of the Wars of the Roses until the Napoleonic Wars, was a realm in near constant turmoil. Uh, whether from dynastic feuding, religious dissent, or nationalist uprising, England and the British Isles were in a perilous state. The man whose story I'm going to relate today is part and parcel of this state of affairs, a product of over a century of instability. That man is Thomas Blood. Uh, so before we get into the details, I want to list a few of the events in the 16th and 17th centuries that I hope will explain the backstory of what we're going to talk about today. So the first is, is on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther sends his 95 theses to the Archbishop of Menz in Germany, thus beginning the Protestant Reformation. So that's the first one. Hmm. It uh, went smoothly, right? It yeah, went very that was, smoothly. That was... That's why I, That's why it's the first on the <laughs> and list. That's of... it. It's just a sentence. Done. <laughs> so on November third, fifteen forty-three, the English Parliament passed the first Act of Supremacy. This law made King Henry the Eighth sovereign of the Christian Church in England, effectively uh, severing England from the Roman Catholic Church and paving the way for the English Reformation. On February eighth, fifteen eighty-seven. Mary, Queen of Scots, is beheaded by order of her cousin, Elizabeth I of England. She has one son, who becomes James VI of Scotland. Okay, so Mary, Queen of Scots, has executed her son, is James VI of Scotland. 
On March 24th, 1603, Queen Elizabeth I of England dies without an heir. Hmm. The English Parliament, wanting to ensure that a Protestant sits upon the throne of England, invites James VI of Scotland to become James I of wait, England. Wait, 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 wait. They wanted to appoint the person who yes, they, got it, killed by their mother, or the mother got killed? By, by, her, by their previous by, by queen. By their previous yes. queen. Yes. Yes. Right. Um, that, that's... So he will be... Hang co- on a second. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Mary, Queen of Scots, mm-hmm. her son... Is her James son the Sixth James of Scotland, Sixth. and, and he be... will become James the First of England. And, and why, why did Elizabeth Firth kill her? Uh, so she is... Uh, no, she's not Catholic, but she has... Um, the reason they can invite James the Sixth to become James the First is that Mary's father or mother, Mary is distantly related to the Tudor family. Okay. And Elizabeth is of the Tudor family. Okay. And so she, she didn't want her competing for the throne. Yeah. She has a she Squashing has that, a claim. That competition. She has a claim to the throne. Um, and I think she's Catholic. Yeah, she's Catholic. Um, and that was the other part of it, is that she was seen by English Catholics as a Catholic oh, alternative Catholic. Yeah. Uh, to the Protestant Elizabeth. Her death that. leads to the Spanish Armada. Her execution mm-hmm. is what triggers the war with Spain that will bring oh. about the Spanish Armada. Um, but basically, Elizabeth felt like when she orders the execution, because Mary, Queen of Scots, was a prisoner of Elizabeth mm-hmm. for like a decade before really? her execution. Really? Yeah. Um, but when they get to the point where she signs the death warrant, she feels like she doesn't have a choice. That it's either invite civil war, uprising, or invasion, or kill Mary. Um, so, yeah. And so, so she have, kills Mary. Have 100,000 people die, or one? Yeah, person. and then she... Was it in the Tower of London? Uh, I think so. Did I think they, she's did executed. Did they put her head up on the spike? No, I don't think they put her head on a spike. I think they just buried her. Um, but yeah, so James the sixth of Scotland becomes James the first. <laughs> I of love the drama of yeah. the Tower of London where they just put heads on yeah, spikes. Yeah. It's actually and, where the term "type five came from. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so he'll be known as James the first and sixth. So he'll have two numbers. Uh, on March twenty seventh, sixteen twenty five, James the first and sixth dies, and his son Charles the first becomes King of England, Scotland, and Ireland. On May 1st, 1625, Charles I marries Princess Henrietta Maria of France. This marriage is unpopular because she is Catholic. In 1642, driven by religious and political... How many kids do they have? They had a, they had a couple. Yeah. Uh, they don't <laughs> That's have... How that works. <laughs> I was raised Catholic. Yeah. Oh, do you need to secure your family line? Yeah. You need to make sure there's enough yeah. people to be an heir. Marry yeah. a Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> so, Shoot you out six. Yes, yeah, six. Driven. <laughs> Five of them are killed like, by someone else. No, well, probably their brother, but like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's enough. <laughs> yeah. Driven by religious and political differences, King Charles I and Parliament go to war with one another to begin the English Civil Wars. Royalists tended to be members of the Anglican or Catholic faiths, while parliamentarians tended to be members of nonconformist, I'm putting that in air quotes, Protestant denominations. Yes. So these nonconformists simply meant you were a Protestant who did not belong to the Church of England. Yes. So like uh, Presbyterians. So uh, Catholics weren't involved. They, if you were Catholic, you tended to be on the side of the king. Oh. Because okay. his wife is Catholic. Okay. 
Um, and the Anglican Church in the sixteen in the mid sixteen hundreds looked a lot basically, like the Catholic Church. Yeah. So you could kind of see yourself. It was basically work. the Catholic Church, but you could get divorced. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> On January thirtieth, Michael, as a Catholic, uh, turned the page very <laughs> I, I, briskly. Yes, I, um, it is I a lot over like this fact. It's, <laughs> well, it's, it's the Robin. It's the Robin Williams joke that Anglicanism is uh, Catholic light. Same great religion, only half the guilt. Um, <laughs> And they really should have like four or five times. <laughs> they should, but they, they have a lot to be guilty about. Yeah, yeah, on oh, Jan- the sun never sets on the Anglican Church. Oh, that's weird. Why is that? Yeah. Oh. January thirtieth. Do anything wrong to the Indians? Yeah, <laughs> and it does And you don't need to say which ones. <laughs> yeah, you don't. I was going to be like, it's Native Americans, Adam. Jeez, and I'm oh, no, no. Yep, yep. No. Choose, choose. Which one? <laughs> if you're being perfect, you should say the Indians and also the Native Americans, right? That's generally... And the yeah, Aboriginals. It's okay. Uh, you can... Uh, what? Maori. Adam, just... We learn from our mistakes when we move on. January, uh, January 30th, 1649. Having lost the Civil War, King Charles I is tried by Parliament for treason and beheaded in London. Oh, His son, Charles II, flees to France. England... Did he, did he live? Yes. Uh... <laughs> England is proclaimed a republic or commonwealth with Oliver Cromwell as its Lord Protector. That worked out well, right? Yeah, we're about to find that out. Uh, 1649 to 1650, Oliver Cromwell wages a brutal war in Ireland, perpetuating massacres upon the inhabitants, as well as committing something close to genocide in terms of policy. He forces Catholic Irish off their lands and settles large portions of his army on that land. Oh. In 1650. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The Irish love Oliver. Was he... Did he have like mental problems? Was no, he was, was just he was just a uh, um, power hungry. He was power hungry. He was also fanatically religious, uh, uh, which is so interesting because he like was zealously fanatic, that never fanatically happens. Anglican. Right? No, he was he was a he was one of the nonconforming Protestants. Oh, which uh, he was, Puritan? I think, essentially Presbyterian. Oh, okay. um, Puritans. He was part of that Puritan strain. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. In that Puritan same, was like an umbrella yeah. term for you a know bunch those of Puritans. They uh, <laughs> yeah. they're really uh, accepting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, and yeah. especially if papists. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They definitely don't have any conspiracy oh, and women. Uh, papists and women. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. in, in 1658, Oliver Cromwell dies, and his son, Richard Cromwell, becomes Lord Protector. But Richard Cromwell isn't made of the same stuff. So in 1660, Richard Cromwell... The insanity? <laughs> yeah. No, he just... He He's not made of the same stuff in that he uh, doesn't have a deep bloodlust. Yeah. People different than him. Yeah, and, and that being that, he couldn't hold the thing together. Mm. Uh, because that's what was holding the Commonwealth together was Oliver Cromwell's deep bloodlust. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody's like, scared of one person. Yeah. Well, yeah. wasn't there like it was called like the Terror or something? Like it had like a didn't Cromwell? I don't know if he I don't know if he instituted anything like that. But he, he at one point he dissolves Parliament and essentially rules oh. as military dictator. Yeah, like he yeah. rules through the major generals. He like mm. they, that's the phrase that is used. The major generals went out into the countryside. They canceled Christmas. Because it's a terrible pagan holiday. They, they, that wow, they canceled drink. Christmas? They canceled Christmas. Wow. 
Uh, they weren't. They were. The no. Boys and girls just cried and cried. Oliver Cromwell is basically the Grinch. He was Scrooge. Yeah, yeah the, the Grinch, Grinch and Scrooge uh, rolled into one. Yeah. Uh, but Santa with like a little Antilla the Hun. Fucking Santa gets chopped off. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was going to say, Santa's just flying around England. Just like, should I even. Nope. I mean, I got to get to the good little girls and boys, but is the risk worth it? Nope. And then if Finally, he's like, yes. You know what? I'm going to do it. And then they're just hanging him. <laughs> Go to the Tower of London, Santa Claus. You're a German anyway. Add his head to the pike. <laughs> so in... You're all on my naughty list. Thwump. That's his last words. <laughs> and Santa never visited again. <laughs> so... That's why they changed the Boxing Day, right? Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> what the fuck is Boxing Day? Apparently, apparently, it was the day where uh, you would give your servants gifts. Oh, right. After Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I know. And Adam's the hatred in Adam Coonan's eyes. <laughs> You yeah, leave oh. boxes for your. <laughs> you get the sloppy se- the servants get the sloppy seconds. Is uh, we should make a new holiday called Let's sort of a little bit try to not have a revolution day. I think Boxing Day would be better. I think we should try the Boxing Day. Ah, yes, you are right. Good, good way. To, you, yeah, good way to pump that up. Well, good way to make now, that. Uh, now I don't like I don't like the origin of it, but I do like the idea of Boxing Day as a separate like essentially christmas holiday that is supposed to be spent with your friends so you can like uh, you can be yeah. like i'm gonna it's spend like christmas like... essentially but like you it, so that way you can like reduce the pressure you can be mm. like i'm gonna spend christmas day with my family and then tomorrow i'll go hang out with all of my friends mm. like and and you have both days off like i yes. like that idea uh, i don't necessarily like the idea of of like let's pro- let's prolong the the suffering of the proletariat yeah. just long <laughs> enough that we can die yeah, uh, yeah, of, yeah. of old age yeah. <laughs> and then our children will find new and unique ways of keeping them in their place so in they'll find a thing called twitter <laughs> and they'll make sure that it's used to great effect so in- i know a guy who owns an emerald mine you might be able to help with that <laughs> they will send them to the Americas <laughs> so in in 1660 uh, Richard Cromwell abdicates as Lord Protector and Charles Stuart uh, crosses from Europe to become King Charles II so King Charles I's son comes out of exile and is Charles II so part one so that was the introduction. But, we needed wow. some. Before, we needed some. That was quite a. Was but, yeah. Before we move on too hard, mm-hmm. I love how like the narrative amongst like your, I don't know, generally right wing, mm-hmm. like sort of like militia group, mm-hmm. like kind of ideological people. Is that just like, they'll be like, well, you look at all those countries in Africa, and they've been fighting with each other forever. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. With oh, Europe, they with have you. these weird systems of leadership that don't make any sense. I mean, Europe has only been a bunch of peaceniks since 1945. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. And, and I, I remember I took a class in, in college that was about, essentially it was it was the history of the European Union. It was a history of Europe since 1945. And the thing that would drive me nuts about it is is reading these articles. They're like, the European Union is what has kept 
Europe from fighting its wars. I'm like, no. The For Soviet 15 years. <laughs> the Soviet Union and the United States are what have kept yeah, you from yeah, fighting yeah, each yeah, other. Those yeah. nuclear weapons have yeah, kept you from yeah, fighting each yeah. other. But anyway. Deterrence, yeah, but uh, one they hell of sound a like a bunch of French peace dicks. Tool. And then the French people are just like but they sound like a horse in their throat. <laughs> they're north of us, and we don't like them. You know, and, yeah. it's like, and they're all just pissed. I so, think that was more of a Spanish accent. So part <laughs> one, political terrorism. Okay. So. <laughs> Sorry. I probably shouldn't have laughed at political terrorism. I just, I kind of lost the thread of where we're at. Now. Yeah. Oh, so oh, we're to- at what terrorism. time period are we at right now? I don't even know. <laughs> so Thomas, keep jumping around. So Thomas Blood was born in 1618 in the kingdom of Ireland. You think uh, he had nicknames growing up? Probably. Like, uh, the king it. of which was James I and VI of England and Scotland. Yeah. So the king of Ireland is also the king of these other things. Uh, His family were recent transplants to that country. The Blood family arrived in Ireland in the person of Edmund Blood, a member of the minor gentry in Tudor England, who had come to Ireland in 1595. Okay, let me ask you how you get the last name Blood. Like, like, because uh, it's like always last names are like things that you did, like you know, Smith well, or also, like it, Co- it, it Cooper. Also, it or... could also be a description of you. So it could be, they could have a really terrible uh, connotation. I don't know. It yeah. didn't come up in the research. It could either be a really terrible connotation of like he was a soldier. Edmund Blood was a soldier. Yeah. So it could be that. But it could also be you would get things like if his face looked red, he might have gotten the last name Blood because of like a ruddy complexion. Or like Redmond. Yeah. You, know what you what mean? would it's get like you. <laughs> you would get. You would get. So uh, you know, and it, that was that was the thing. Like the names that are based, and and I might be wrong on this, so take this with a grain of salt. But it, from what I've come across, like the names that are really descriptive of of like Smith or Cooper or Miller, like the names that are are um, professions tended to be like Anglo-Saxon names, mm-hmm. whereas the names that are descriptive are uh, tend to be like Franco-Norman names Uh. so like for instance uh, there's a really powerful family in the 14 and 1500s that are called the beauforts uh but beaufort in french means like the beautiful hill right (laughs) so it's like they are they are descended from they are descended from norman aristocracy and they got the name beaufort but they're named after the land that they came from like their land, they took their name as Beaufort because they had a they had a hill that they thought looked really pretty, and they're like, "We're the Beaufort family now." Yeah. <laughs> Let um, me introduce myself. Like, <laughs> my name is Simon Twelveincher. <laughs> <laughs> my family is very. I, I love where last names come from. Like so, <laughs> so Edmund Blood uh, came to Ireland in 1595 there will be blood. as a mm. as a cavalry officer during the Nine Year War. Uh, between England and Ireland. Uh, The Blood family made its money as small landowners, small businessmen, and essentially as pirates who formed a protection racket against themselves. Uh, Wait, bloody pirates. they They would make people bribe them to have them not be pirates against you. In the Irish oh, Sea. Oh, it's, yeah, you mm. overmetted that. That's just a protection racket. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's just how that works. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, no. Wait, they paid a... off people to protect them on the sea. They mm. paid people, or they made people pay them to protect 
themselves from uh, them. Uh, I mean, no, that's uh, just how that's yeah, yeah that's like the like, mafia. Yeah, yeah that's so just, like that's just, why did anything happen to your pretty little boat? Like, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. That's, so, yeah, that's just protection. <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> we, we've established I'm bad at crime. Um, so the family was also deeply committed to the Protestant faith. Uh, but saw no problem with being piratical and religious at the same time. Like, there's no cognitive dissonance within the blood family. For the listening audience, can you define piratical? Being pirate-like. <laughs> That's going to be in the, the notes. <laughs> the that, feel, that one feels more self-explanatory. So, piratical. So I was pretty sure it meant to be pirate-like. Yeah. But I really wanted to make sure. Like, <laughs> so you just invent a new word. No, that's a word. I promise. So Thomas Blood was the eldest son of parents who were described quote as serious, honest, and of no inferior credit and possessions in the country where they lived. End quote. Not Irish. <laughs> yeah, they're not. They're not Irish. Yeah, because I knew Blood was an English name. Yeah. 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 So uh, the father was in the iron business and was of the major wait, gentry. Wait. 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 Their last name is Blood, and he was in the iron business. Yeah. So iron and blood. Yeah. <laughs> so very Bismarck. It's just like, mm. oh my god. I yeah. thought about the email. <laughs> You're not. I thought about the folk band that was like. You know, just so you know, there are no good guys in this story. Oh. Yeah. So like it's history. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So father was in the iron business and was of the major gentry. It is probable that Thomas was sent to Lancashire in England for his schooling. Um, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Doctor history ethics annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to go through two sentences, but you know, one is fine. The major gentry. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I, so I, so gentry is a hard word to define uh, because it's not quite aristocracy because aristocracy means you have a title. Okay. So you're major, a count, you're a yeah, whatever. count, baron, duke, marquis, whatever other made-up term you want to use. Right. Gentry are people who they might have a knighthood, and I again I could be wrong on this, but as far as I can tell, you might have a knighthood, but that's like. as far as you're going to go. And that's the thing with England as opposed to France. This is a bit of a digression. But at the time of the French Revolution, part of the reason for the French Revolution is you have an impoverished aristocracy. Mm -hmm. Like, large portion... um, The total number of aristocratic families in France in 1789 is like 50,000. The total number of aristocratic families in Britain in the same year is 5,000. So Britain does a much better job... a quote-unquote better job of keeping the number of actual aristocrats minimized all right so Mm. instead of you might have members they've got higher fences on their gated exactly but you would still have gentry so these are people who own large tracts of land but who don't have a noble title but they might have I all thought, the trappings of that, yes, right? They you might have, yeah. Same you way, dress they, the same way. You have an estate. You have a manor. You, you, you and can, they show up in Jane Austen novels. Yeah, they show up in Jane Austen novels. <laughs> 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 that's, that's the definition yeah, of gentry but, in my mind. Yeah, uh, but, uh, but that's, I think that's a, that's a really good point, right? Um, and so the gentry tended to be aligned with the aristocracy while not ever being fully comfortable with them. And this is one of the things you see in yeah, the, in the, the American colonies. Yeah, because the aristocracy is not fully comfortable yeah, yeah. with them Exa- back, Exactly. Right? Like, one, yeah, this yeah. Is, and this is like when you look at the American Revolution, like George Washington uh, and all of the Virginia planters would be, if they had been in England, 
would have been of the gentry. gentry they yeah. weren't they weren't aristocrats technically because they don't have the titles that go with aristocrat uh, with aristocracy. Um, and the British never created uh, aristocratic titles for America. They just didn't. Uh, so nobody you're a colony. In America, yeah, you're a colony. Oh, you don't um, own anywhere in England's green. Expansive pasture land. <laughs> All three and a half miles. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. They had those yeah. companies that would dole out land, right? Yeah. Like yeah, those. Yeah. Uh, no, and there was the whole movement. We talked about this before, right? The whole movement where people in England were like, we're in Jerusalem yeah, now. Yeah, we've talked about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, we're These are, very this is, rainy Jerusalem. This is, this, is, uh, this is part of that movement. No, we're going to get to that. Yeah. <laughs> so upon, upon returning to Ireland in 1640, so coming back from school, yeah. young Thomas was employed as a justice of the peace at the age of 21. In this post, he fought in the campaigns against Irish rebels in 1642. Uh, that same year, he joined the Royalist Army of Charles I. So he's on the Royalist side. Mm. Uh, a friend of blood said, quote, he gave his prince all the assistance his personal valor was capable to afford him, wherein he performed several good pieces of good service. He did a good job. But it's the 16th time period. Yes. The 1600s. These are the same people who wrote the King James Bible. <laughs> right, so Everything the king, the king, oh, it's been. all windy. It's, I, every quote we're going to give is I windy. I love how you said that, as if most people understand the, the like nuance different. Yeah, <laughs> the king oh, James Bible. Oh my! So God, my favorite, my favorite, my favorite quote about this. There's uh, there was a priest who was giving a homily, uh, and he said uh, apparently uh, there's a there's a story in the Bible. Uh, it's right after the resurrection, and and these these people are traveling along, and they realize that they're traveling with Jesus, and they ask Jesus to stay the night with them. Uh, and the King James version of the Bible apparently says, uh, "The people say to Jesus, Abide with us, Lord, for the evening tide approaches, and night is nearly upon us.' That is what the King James version of the Bible says. Oh, and this priest, I didn't know Shakespeare wrote it. Yeah, and the priest, and the priest goes. Eventually, the English translation of the Bible will say, "Stick around, God. It's getting dark outside." Because that's what they're saying: "Stick around, God. It's getting dark outside." Anyway, so that being said, the Bloods never did like backing losing horses. And in 1650, following the execution of Charles I, Thomas Blood enlisted in Cromwell's new model army and almost certainly served in that army in Ireland. Meaning that he almost ser- kicking cool Catholics off their land. <laughs> Meaning that he almost certainly committed war crimes. Ah, God damn it. Uh, <laughs> he ended can't, his can't sur- win them all. Yeah. Yeah. He ended I, his- I love how I started this episode by being like, this guy's rad. <laughs> I hope I related <laughs> to him. <laughs> So my uh, actually I to be clear it's it's B L O O A D it's B L U D it's the German yeah, blood <laughs> no you don't want to be that either <laughs> uh, he ended his service in the army as a captain and was granted land in Ireland for his services. Uh, also in 1650, he married uh, Mary Holcroft, who were, was herself the daughter of Lancaster, uh, Lancaster Gentry. Uh, the couple appears to have been loving, and they had a total of seven children, including a Thomas Blood Jr. Blood's life looked like it was about to be set. However, the ill-gotten gains in Ireland were the seeds of a violent life. Mm. The Commonwealth government of Oliver Cromwell ruled, iron, ruled Ireland with an iron fist. They confiscated Irish Catholic land nearly wholesale. 
Before 1650, Irish Catholics held about 60% of the land in Ireland. By 1659, that number had dropped to around 8%. Wow. The Cromwell government deported nearly 50,000 Irish Catholics to the Caribbean to work as indentured servants. Those who remained were forced to move to Western Ireland, which was the least productive portion of the island. If they failed to do so by a certain date, the penalty would be a summary hanging. Jesus Christ. Death for not moving on time? Yes. Oh my God. There's a reason the Irish hate Cromwell. I so many times yeah, in yeah, my 20s. Yeah. Like, wow. like, you need to be out by this date. And I'm like, I totally will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's one hell of a landlord. <laughs> yeah, no Jesus. Cromwell is supposed to have said of this ethnic cleansing of the Irish that the Irish were to, quote, go to hell or connect, end quote. Blood benefited from these policies to the tune of nearly 2,500 acres of land. Wait, he just picked up that land uh, that would yeah he was given he was yeah, yeah cromwell cromwell <laughs> settled large portions of his army that's how he paid them right. he paid them in land because right. he didn't have any cash uh so by the end of this he owns in whole or in part 2500 acres wow. thomas blood does uh, now with the restoration of charles ii in 1660 there was an attempt to push back the clock in ireland mm. The Irish Parliament, so Ireland is technically a separate country from England, so Ireland has its own parliament. Technically. Yes, technically. In quotations. In quotations. The Irish the parliament par- is made up of, uh, of, of Anglo-Irish oh, Protestants. Oh, it's not just like a, yeah. it's not a really good demographic. Yeah, yeah, I mean, now admittedly, England's parliament. It's just like our Senate. <laughs> England's parliament is also not a really representative yeah, no, body. None, so, none of them are. Yeah. None of them fucking are. So the is Irish... Pa- is that what you're referring <laughs> to? I, so I feel like I told you that as a friend. <laughs> <laughs> and now our now our dozens of listeners will know too. Yeah. Yeah, they'll know that I looked at a bartender and said one sonate, please, and it was Senate. And I, thanks. So I'm gonna find out a story about you. I'm gonna tell. All, I mean, all, all we have to do is talk about that mustache, just and we're must good. Talk about it. So. See, but he owns the mustache. He's like, he, but he shouldn't. Yeah, yeah. No, he shouldn't. But he owns it, right? So it's not a it's not a point of weakness. I'm gonna find something else. Like the, the like in, in the third armor. grade, did you call the teacher mom? <laughs> <laughs> something like that happened. All right. So in 1662, the Irish Parliament passed a new Act of Settlement, which attempted to restore the old English royalist and the quote innocent Catholics end quote of their land. Okay, so they innocent Catholics were supposed to be Catholics who hadn't participated in rebellions, which there had been. There had been Irish Catholics who had sided with the, the King of England during those revolutions that had occurred in the 1630s and 40s. Um, now, Blood was left with only about 220 acres of the nearly 2,500 acres he'd had before. Aww. He lost most of his land. Aww. It was now that he fell in with other dispossessed Protestants in Ireland. So 1662. Can I just say, like, again, I, I, you know, I'm no doctor, history scholar, uh, but if, if, if knowing a little bit of history taught me anything, Mm -hmm. it's that like you have a bunch of like young Mm -hmm. dispossessed men in a place where they feel wronged. It's never, it's not, this isn't going to turn out good, is it? No, 1662 was a bad, was not a great year for (laughs) Ireland's Protestants. It also saw the new act of uniformity, which imposed the Anglican Church on Ireland's Protestants. The threat level was so high that the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland, a man named the Duke of Ormond, issued a proclamation of amnesty uh, in October that gave people until December 10th, 1662, to turn in their gunpowder. 
He goes, if you turn in your gunpowder by December 10th, it, everything will be fine. You won't be in any trouble. If we find you with gunpowder after that date, you will have been committing a crime. Hmm. Um, uh, the next month, the same government uh, banned the private ownership of weapons. So in November 1662, the government bans the private ownership of weapons. In the summer of 1663, an inventory of government arsenals found that 112 modern flintlock muskets, 18, <laughs> 848 older matchlock muskets, 837 bandoliers of ammunition, 80 cavalry carbines, 93 pikes, 80 pistols, and 3,499 swords were missing. <laughs> Even worse, 23 cannons could not be accounted for. Now, some of this was likely graft, and some of it was likely that older weapons were being gotten rid of, but it was worrying to the government nonetheless that an army's worth of weapons seemed to be missing from their arsenals. Mm. Now, a quick... Who, whose arsenals? Was the, uh, the, ar the, basically, the government's army in Ireland. Okay, uh, so, the, the, so the Irish government there. Technically, the, Iri the Irish English government in yeah, Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the, the English puppet yeah, government. Yes. Yeah. So a quick <laughs> note a quick note on the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland and the Duke of Ormond. So the Lord Lieutenant was the king's personal representative, so a viceroy uh, of sorts. Uh, they were the head executive in Ireland, standing in the place of the king. They were, quote, the font of mercy, justice, and patronage, end quote, for the kingdom. And in wartime, they were commander-in-chief for Ireland. The Duke of Ormond, whose full name was Jane, James Fitzthomas Butler, was born in London to an old Anglo-Irish noble family. He served as Lord Lieutenant of Ireland on four different occasions, twice for Charles I and twice for Charles II. He fought Irish rebels in the 1630s and 40s. On the Royalist side during the Civil War, he went into exile with Charles II during the Commonwealth, and he ended his career as the Chancellor of the University of Oxford. However, his main <laughs> occupation was a soldier. He was he he was basically Charles II had put a soldier in charge of Ireland. Hmm. Uh, so the government was right to be worried. Uh, the Irish Protestants were planning a coup. Uh, the same year as the Act of Uniformity and the Duke of Ormond's orders about weapons, Thomas Blood was busy helping to recruit former parliamentary soldiers in and around Dublin into the coup plot. In December, blood was sowing the seeds of sedition among the Scots of Ulster in Northern Ireland. In the nine months between September 1662 and May 1663, Thomas Blood was in the lead, even authoring the manifesto that was, be was to be released by the insurgents upon their success. Okay. Yeah. So he's making, he's a revolutionary or... or yes. Like, uh, I mean, do you think he was like, he just wanted his shit back? Is that basically what was I, motivating I think him? That, I think that's the initial motivation. Um, and the only way to get his shit back is to overthrow the government. But there's also the deep religious part of this. One of the things with Charles II in particular is that he's not Protestant enough for the Protestants <laughs> of, of, of England, Ireland, and Scotland. And that was always the problem with all of the Stuart kings so that uh, james the first and sixth is Stuart. uh that's his that's his last name like he replaces the tudor oh, family so the okay. Stuart royal family okay. that dynasty yeah that dynasty was never protestant enough uh for the the and that was that was one of the the tensions in england in great britain so the church of england wasn't considered protestant enough no it's too catholic it's okay. it's got too many guys in funny hats yeah. there's too many there's too there's too much <laughs> oh, latin yeah. there's too much there's stained glass windows right uh -huh. the puritan style of protestantism looks at what that was, and goes do you do you know the specific uh mm -hmm. uh like like 
I don't know the right word, differentiation of uh, like idolatry. Because that was one of the biggest, I yeah. know, especially in Germany, that was one of the biggest. Yeah. Like, and idolatry was like a, a big wedge issue between catholics yeah, and yeah. protestants so we're, we're and anglicans doing idolatry yeah that that would be that's how the puritans viewed it uh yeah. that they were being idolatrous there's also and 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 on a on a on a practical theological level like there's the idea essentially if you protestantism writ large is 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 much more along the lines of like the personal salvation okay. the personal relationship between man and god right and a lot of Protestant denominations, in the, in, especially in the 17th century, looked askance at any organization that the put priest. itself between uh, yeah, okay. man and God. And the Anglican Church looked like another imposition between mm-hmm. the individual because of and the, the priest class. And yeah, it, because yeah. you had because every well, Protestant it, it, denomination it, it, had some kind of like pastor or minister, but the the. Anglican Church has archbishops, yeah. right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the part that that drove them that nuts. They, they, this hierarchy that went more than one step up, yeah. right? Because again, they would say, "Oh, yeah, you might want to, you might want an expert in yeah. theology, right? To maybe go to advice to, mm-hmm. right? That Gu- would guide be a the flock, yeah." But the idea that you need some guy, uh, that was their argument. Mm. Well, that's so interesting, too, because I'm pretty sure Hinduism and Buddhism have had the same argument. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I know in specifically in Buddhism, there's the Buddhism two. doesn't really have that kind of clergy hierarchy. No, but, but Buddhism has this really interesting split. And I think, listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, but like South uh, Eastern Asia, yeah, right? Like, like tends to be one type, which is much more my personal like journey to enlightenment yeah. right it, it has to be mine yeah. right it can't no one can teach me how to reach enlightenment sure. i have to teach me how to right, reach enlightenment right, right. and then the other side of it is like no no no. you can have gurus and like, can, like the monks or not i shouldn't the, say the, the monks and stuff. Yeah, yeah 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 like it's it's the dalai lama that that uh strain of uh well, Tibet. I, I again. I don't want to speak. No, I've that, heard that too. I but don't. There are I don't there are two essentially like a. There's a divide in right. Buddhism between. Do I have a personal journey to enlightenment, yeah. or can I follow this like and, set of rules? Yeah. Is there a hierarchy? Is there like and, a yeah? Yeah, and it's never it's never a one to one comparison. I mean, the Sunni Shia split in Islam right, has yeah. some similarities. Sim, they're not. It, again, it's not one to one, but Sunni Islam is a lot more flat yeah. organizationally, whereas Shia Islam is a lot more cleric, high, yeah. Uh, like yeah. You, the fact that you have um, the Ayatollahs in Iran, there's no sort of Sunni equivalent anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so Thomas Blood is is working on this, uh, you know, coup plot. So the plotters were a godly bunch. Uh, they planned to have six ministers with their army uh, in Dublin to, quote, see that no plunder or disorder should be committed, end quote. Uh, yeah. The manifesto that blood, that blood authors... Which they tried to restrict what they were going to do. Yeah, like, they wanted... That was the idea. They that they would keep sure the, they didn't sack a city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah old yeah. school. Not yeah. Constantinople. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> keep it targeted. <laughs> like... They were like having a meeting with the priests beforehand. You know what I mean? Like, listen, just tell everyone, don't be Venetian. Like, whatever you do, don't be anything close to Venetian because 
can't tr- yeah, can't, you can't trust no them. one will trust you afterwards <laughs> yeah i don't care how tasty the gelato is <laughs> <laughs> anyway so uh the manifesto that blood authored spoke of the need to quote secure the english interest end quote in the three kingdoms these kingdoms were to be ru- uh, had been ruined by quote the countenance given to popery end quote that is catholics <laughs> I love popery. I, I love popery. I I always love. At least it smells good. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the incense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's the thing. They, ah, they it's swing. Pope Patchouli the second. <laughs> he, all right. That incense they swing around. Yeah, that's popery. No, no, that's 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 we're just making a joke. That's, yeah. No, the incense yeah. they swing around is actually um, they're just reburning Jesus' body. <laughs> is that really? No, no, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> like you still got Jesus? You got a little bit of Jesus. Oh <laughs> uh, man, I, I have so many questions. <laughs> we're, we're taking no questions right now. So they further they further demanded the restoration of lands in, uh, in Ireland to Englishmen and the reestablishment of the church along a more hard line that is nonconformist Protestant line. There was to be no return to a republic, quote, having long expected the securing of our lives, liberties, and estates as a reasonable recompense for that industry and diligence exercised by the Protestants of this kingdom in restoring his majesty in the exercise of his royal authority. Instead, <laughs> we find ourselves, our wives and children, without mercy delivered to, as prey unto these barbarous and bloody murderers whose inhumane cruelty is registered in the blood of 150,000 poor Protestants since the beginning of the war in this kingdom. End quote. So this is an independence movement? Or no, is it just it's, like it's a it's a the best the honestly the best description of it uh, to use a weird comparison. This is a conservative revolutionary movement. Oh, this is a this is, is a we want we to, want our stuff back. <laughs> they they want they wanted to take their country back. Was there essentially their, their, their own little MAGA move? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> they want to make wherever the fuck <laughs> they want to make, make it I, great again. They want to make Ireland great again. Oh my god! Uh, now what they're saying <laughs> it's not true. That'd be like if Trump was trying to win office in India during the colonial era. Like it's not the same. <laughs> well, it's I mean, not I, an I, apples to apples. You're right. It's not. Well, a, no, but it's also you know who, whose land is this? That we're sitting on? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Wait, us? Yes, <laughs> us, right now. <laughs> oh, this right is now. a quiz, hot shot. <laughs> well, we're on the second floor, so none. Anyway, but the point being that what they don't want to return to a republic. They, they want to keep King Charles II okay. as their okay. king, but they want to... They want to force him to to make the state more Protestant uh, okay. uh, in its in its religion. They want the religion of the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth was a very hard line. You can just Protestant. say it. They're reactionary. They are. Yeah, they are. Yeah. It is. It is. And that's why I said. A cons- but it it is revolutionary in that they want to change the way that 
everything is set up. Okay. Right? They want they want to they do want to change the society, but they want to change it in a conservative like, direction give us our rather than back. I don't I feel like there's a distinction, right? Because mm-hmm. like when you say revolutionary, mm-hmm. right? I think 99% of the time you're mm-hmm. talking about like a, a revolution of like rights, a revolution mm-hmm. like something positive yeah, to the yeah. to the end. Whereas like when you, when you say revolution, like it's almost an anti-revolution. Yeah, yeah I mean right? that's why like I said conservative yeah, revolution yeah, yeah. and and conservative revolutionaryism. Like uh, that term, if you ever look it up, is tends to be used to describe far right nationalists in Germany yeah. in the twenties and thirties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, like Nazism is a conservative revolutionary movement. Um, Turns out I'm related to a proto. <laughs> Nazi. <laughs> just keep her moving. So I the, feel like you designed this whole episode, Doctor History, Moral Scholar, to ruin me on the inside. To just really, all right. Yeah. Uh, he, so the plane it was all mo- your fault. He yeah. knew. He knew my mother's maiden name. Now, <laughs> now a note. Uh, it says he says that uh, he he blames the government for allowing those barbarous barbarous. Catholic Irish, and you'll you'll appreciate this, Adam Lax, because yeah. we all know how much you have it in for the Irish. Uh, <laughs> that those barbarous <laughs> Irish had killed a hundred and fifty thousand poor Protestant men, women, and children. Uh, now, this is an exaggeration. I have a note here. The number of Protestants dead in Ireland during the wars over the previous two decades is closer to thirty-seven thousand. So he's exaggerating almost by like four or five times wow. the number of or the number of people but this is pretty well, par yeah, for the course Protestants, so they're worth more they are worth more. <laughs> there were the number the number of the number of catholics the math killed, works out God the yeah. number of catholics killed is only like 300 because they're only like 0.1 of a person yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's uh, now the plan for the coup was relatively raised sp- catholic I just yeah be <laughs> went to church this morning yeah <laughs> I'm Catholic. Uh, the plan for the coup was relatively straightforward. Six men would enter Dublin Castle at 6 a.m., disguised as petitioners, asking the Lord Lieutenant's redress for grievances. This was a thing you could do. You could just go to the Lord Lieutenant and be like, I have a grievance. Uh, they would walk to the back gate and await the daily bread delivery. The Wait, baker- they, they came with a grievance? Yeah. That, like that, Festivus? Yeah. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> right. that, don't you know? I got this a lot is... of problems with you people. <laughs> don't you know? Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Seinfeld was one of the Lord Lieutenants. Anyway, um, he was always going like, "What's the deal with potatoes?" Uh, but anyway, and then the the uh, who who's above a Lord Lieutenant? The King. All right, the King was like. You know, no there's a certain you. group of people that always say, "What's the deal with?" Go to some other country. Uh, actually, Cromwell—that is one of the. Uh, sorry, because I know that that was a coded anti-Semitic joke. So <laughs> I wasn't making fun of Jewish people. I was making fun of people who kicked Jewish people out of the well, country. But, uh, I just want to be clear about that. Adam, uh, you accept it, right? Yeah, I accept it. Uh, that, is, that is one of the few things that Oliver Cromwell did that uh, is reasonably liberal. He's the first uh, English head of state to allow Jews back into England oh. after Edward I's uh, ex, uh, expulsion in the 13th century in the 1200s. Now he does this for two reasons. That was uh, the real reason they overthrew Cromwell, right? No, he dies. He back. dies in office. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, there are two reasons he does this: uh, the cynical and non-cynical reason. Uh, the non-cynical reason is he thought that uh, again, going off of the uh, 
English believe that Jerusalem is somehow in Britain. Really uh, that allowing really uh, allowing <laughs> allowing Jewish people back into England might herald the the second coming of Christ. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, the more cynical reason is is that a lot of the Jews that uh, are being invited back to England had lived in the Netherlands. Uh, and Spain, uh, which were the rivals of England at this time, uh, and they were they were sources of information. They, he he was able to gain and glean strategic information from these because uh, they were networked to mainland Europe. What I was going to um, say, a lot of them were probably traders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they and worked so in merchant houses if, and yes, banks, and and yeah. so if suddenly they are yeah. in England instead yeah. of the Netherlands, yeah. they're making a lot of money for exactly. England. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So so it again, he seems to have like held yes. both of those ideas in his head at the same time. Um, okay, so the, the baker would cause a distraction. So they're, they're waiting at the back gate for the bakery, uh, the bakery delivery. The baker would cause a distraction. Uh, but and the, the baker had a grievance. Yes, and the advance team would overpower the guards. Those six guys who came in would overpower the guards. And then Thomas Blood and a 100 picked men would storm the castle, seize Lord Ormond, and secure the armory. With Dublin in their hands, the rebels would then raise an army in Ulster and overthrow Charles II, or at least force him to you know, meet their grievances. Uh, the plot never went into action because it was broken up by two landladies. Wait, the, what? Two landladies. So two What's women were like, what you doing? And yes. they grabbed a spoon and they're like, hey, you can't go out into the road like this and you gotta just whack, 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 whack. And they just <laughs> got back I, to I, your I, I never heard house. that term landlady. Yeah. What, yeah. what is a landlady? It's, uh, they basically, so they... You uh, never heard the term landlady? Land... Land. Lady? Yeah, like landlord, but landlady. Oh, oh. Land. I thought it was just... No, it's... It, they basically... They... Adam Lax comes from the ownership class. So he, <laughs> yeah. He's like, wait, is it describing my sister? Is it my mother? Is... Coastal elite, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'm kidding. I love... I love so I love these, uh, the, these two landladies didn't want to be party to a crime, and they threatened to go to the authorities if the, conspira- if the conspirators did not leave their premises. So Blood and his men first delayed and then canceled the coup. A spy in the rebel ranks then informed Ormond, who, on May 21st, 1663, launched dawn raids to capture the ringleaders. His dragnet brought in 24 rebels, but not Blood. Two days later, on May 23rd, 1663, the Duke of Ormond offered £100 to anyone who could bring him Thomas Blood. He also stated that Blood and all other conspirators who had two day, uh, had two days to turn themselves in. Quote, If they fail, we do hereby declare and publish them to be rebels and traitors against his majesty, his crown and dignity, and to be accordingly prosecuted by all his majesty's good subjects. End quote. All who were caught aiding Blood would also be, quote, rebels and traitors against the crown. End quote. So Blood and all of his friends are either arrested or declared traitors. Blood has a series of narrow escapes from the authorities in Ireland. At one point, he even passed himself off as a, quote, Catholic priest. Uh, And to enhance the (laughs) ruse, he even sheltered other papists. Uh, He's, like, not actually, but he's sheltering other Catholics pretending to be a Catholic priest uh, to, like, enhance that he's not Thomas Blood, because Thomas Blood would never hide Catholics. Yeah, yeah, no, he definitely wouldn't. (laughs) Um, but things were getting too hot in Ireland for Thomas Blood. On July 15th, 1663, several of the conspirators to the May coup were hanged in Dublin. 
One of the plotters, quote, made a modest speech acknowledging his crime, saying he was drawn in by one blood, who made his escape, and having declared himself for the Church of England and prayed for the king, he cast himself off resolutely, end quote. So this guy confesses, he goes, it's all Thomas Blood's fault that I'm a traitor, uh, I, I love my king and my church, and then is hanged. Yeah, there, there's nothing that says confession quite like blaming someone else the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like, definitely my I fault. Would, I would like to confess that someone else's did all of this and forced me to do this. Yep. I would. It wasn't me, you know. All, like, all three of well, the cons- at least he lived. Yeah. All three of the it's conspirators like, were it's hanged. Like the song. Yeah, all three of the conspirators were hanged quickly for fear that blood was going to try to rescue them. By the end of 1663, wait, so they turned him in? Like, like they fucking rolled on him, and they're like, "Oh, he still might rescue them." Yeah. Right? Like, well, no. So these were his last words before he was hanged. Like oh. he said this in public. Like he has the noose around his neck, and he goes. I'm really sorry. Blood made me do it. And then they hanged him. Uh, all right. Fair uh, it was his last it's little like the roll bitch of the set me up. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the end of 1663, Blood was out of Ireland and heading for Holland. He returned to England in 1664 as a part of a plot to kill the king and court and seize the government. The plot was betrayed and Blood had to flee again, but not before staging a mock execution for the traitor as a signal to the government. So he pretends to kill like he... They capture the traitor in their midst. They blindfold him. He orders like a firing squad and then all of the guns go click. And they're like, just so you know, we could have killed you and we didn't. So if roles are reversed, don't kill us. Right. We like almost killed your dude. Remember that we didn't. Uh, Do they? No. (laughs) Uh, Now, uh, Blood attempted to recruit a former parliamentary cavalry commander in Holland, but failed. Uh, He was even accused of starting the Great Fire of London in 1666, which, while untrue, was believable for folks at the time. Uh, There was a massive fire in London in 1666, Mm. and at the time, people were like, I think that Thomas Blood guy did it. No, he didn't. He was not anywhere near London. No, but I get Uh, it. Like, mm -hmm. if somebody was like, oh, Donald Trump caused the next financial collapse. Yeah. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that now, might not be completely unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> On April 2nd, 1666, by order of the Duke of Ormond and King Charles II, Thomas Blood was stripped of his last Irish holdings. Thus it was that Thomas Blood uh, had finally had enough. He became a quack doctor practicing false medicine in rural England. He what? changed his name and seems to have become a law-abiding citizen, aside from the fraud of quack doctoring. <laughs> Wait, what? He just like lived happily ever after? And, For like- right now. Yes. So that's the end of part one. So no. (laughs) Part two, to kill a duke. I hope that I've succeeded in painting a picture of a government that was wary of its own subjects and beset by internal troubles. The restored Stuart monarchy was faced with waves of uprisings and conspiracies. These were not contained merely to Ireland, but in Scotland and England as well. The plots, real and imagined against Charles II, his brother, James, Duke of York, and General Monk, the man who had brought the army over to Charles and thus allowed the restoration, were legion. Thus the Stuarts created a police state in the seemingly benign guise of a post office. The centralized government post system was for reading people's mail. (laughs) Wait, wait, they set up a post office system just so they could read people's shit? Yes, that is the reason the post office in England exists. (laughs) That is hilarious. That... God damn it, that's smart. That, that 
That's literally yeah. what Facebook did to everyone yeah, in yeah, America. Yeah. Like, oh, no, do you yeah, want to talk tech, to your like, friends? Yeah, big tech, like, yeah, follow suit. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk to your friends and talk about your values and put everything that you know and love That's on what a database? Gmail like is, essentially. <laughs> like, yeah. the same, oh, my yeah. God. They're like, we're never going to charge for Gmail. Yeah. We're just going to sell your private information <laughs> to other people. Uh, <laughs> we would never charge for Gmail because you are the product, not the customer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the threat uh the threats to the restored regime came in the form of religious nonconformists, republican revolutionaries, and the so-called fifth monarchists. Now the nonconformists were non-anglican protestants, presbyterians, anabaptists, even the occasional quaker. All of them opposed the heavy hand of the church of england in suppressing the freedom of worship. The Republicans were, by and, larger, by and large, former parliamentary soldiers who had overthrown Charles I and seen that a Republican England was possible. The Fifth Monarchists were religious zealots who based their political beliefs on the Book of Daniel, that there would be four monarchies before the second coming of Jesus. Hmm. These first four monarchies were Babylonian, Persian, Greek, and Roman. They identified Charles II and the Stuart monarchy with the Romans. I don't know how. That's convenient. Yep. Yeah, I feel yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah. And they like, believed, yeah. and they believed that his assassination would bring about the end times. It didn't help that the year that many of these plots occurred was 1666, which 666. Dear God. Oh. Yeah. Dear God. Yep. No, wow. it's it's the perfect example of one of those times that history just gets fucking stupid, mm-hmm. where you're like, oh no, like like oh this happened and this happened, but because some dumb fact like like some dumb number mm-hmm. some dumb yeah, a coincidence know, yeah yeah an absolute coincidence mm-hmm. a bunch of people act like assholes yep. for like a long time yep so All that's right. that's who the fifth monarchists are they are religious fanatics who believe that by killing charles ii they will bring about the second coming of christ and they're aligned with a, a sensible like like liberal republicans yes <laughs> yep <laughs> That is, that is, that is, and, and again, there are people who are all three of these things. You might be a nonconformist Protestant who believes that there should be a godly republic in England, and you believe that by killing Charles II, you will bring about the second coming of Christ, which will bring about that godly republic, right? Like, and you might only be two of those things. You might be a fifth monarchist who has no care for republicanism, right? But you are a nonconforming Protestant. It's hard to be a fifth monarchist and not be a nonconforming Protestant. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah, yeah, that yeah. Venn diagram is almost a circle, yeah, yeah. right? Like, uh, or at the very least, it's like a square inside a rectangle. Like all <laughs> fifth monarchists are nonconforming Protestants, yeah. but not all nonconforming Protestants are fifth monarchists. Um, so to deal with these threats, the Stuarts Intelligence Service, which I previously described as a police state, employed spies and informers everywhere. They were nearly omnipresent, and people had to watch what they said for fear of it reaching the wrong years. Hmm. By 1674, the black budget was £4,000 per year, nearly £15 million the in today's budget, money. that's what they called? Yeah, yeah, like what you call like an intelligence, like you're an off-the-books. Can I, yeah. you know, just out of like like context mm-hmm. uh the pentagon hasn't had a successful audit since 1999 <laughs> so you know the black budget <laughs> uh and 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 remember it's it would be 15 million pounds in today's money and and all of this is in personnel basically mm-hmm. right like this is in you can that's a lot of money to to buy spies with um it these funds spies 
Yeah, they, these were used to pay informants and as a kind of slush fund for the elite to deal with any problems quietly. For instance, intelligence money was used to pay off one of the king's many mistresses at one point. Hmm. Charles II has... Oh, Charles, he, uh... Yeah, Charles II had... Uh, a fuck wing. Yes, <laughs> he did. He... It's like, one of his... Multiple fuck wings. One of his nicknames, one of his nicknames was the Merry Monarch. Uh, he he and his wife had no legitimate children. I don't okay. think that she was like she probably had like a medical condition that prevented mm. it because he has so many illegitimate children oh, no. just <laughs> everywhere, uh, like sixteen or seventeen illegitimate children. Man, that makes me feel so bad, right? Because like mm-hmm. this is like you know I'm mm-hmm. married, I have a child mm-hmm. uh, and a wife, it, like like the whole. There's this whole like thread of like w- like how hard it is mm-hmm. to be a woman, mm-hmm. and then once you want to be a mother, mm-hmm. trying to be a mother, and yeah. then you can't. Like it's yeah. this, yeah. it's this whole fucking like human experience I don't understand at all. Yeah. And can you imagine that it's that? Except you're married to the king, and he loves to fuck. <laughs> so it's and, just like all these women so are just so many reminders up. of his infidelity yeah. around him. And, and, and on top of that, like apparently, uh, their their relationship was loving. Yeah, like mm. a, 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 especially in the beginning. I don't think that she particularly Most cares. Are. Uh, <laughs> so it is in this atmosphere that on December sixth, sixteen seventy, that Thomas Blood, who had now promoted himself to the rank of colonel. Uh, his son promoted himself. Yeah, he re- he'll refer to himself as Colonel Blood. <laughs> I'm a lot of trouble figuring out whether I fucking love or hate this guy. Yeah, I know. That's how I, weird because he, he's he part like of my you family. had to move up the ranks in his head. Yeah, uh, he, he started out mentally as a private, and then, like finally, finally got prom- got that promotion. <laughs> so <laughs> Colonel. <laughs> so it, Blood, his son. And several of his associates attempted to assassinate the Duke of Ormond, who had been recalled from Ireland and was living in London as the king's Lord High Steward. Uh, The opportunity to gain revenge on the man who had stripped blood of all of his holdings was presented by the official state visit of the Dutch Stadtholder Prince William of Orange, the future King William III. Charles II held a lavish state dinner at the Guildhall to entertain the Dutch prince, as well as the great nobles of the land, among them the Duke of Ormond. The Duke, of, uh, the Duke was 60 years old and seemingly infirm and decided to leave the dinner early. The Duke rode through the streets of London in a massive carriage, flanked by footmen carrying torches to clear the road. The weather on December 6th was stormy, causing the coach to be slowed. Blood and his fellow conspirators, tipped off about the Duke's route, had posted up in a tavern and consumed a couple of pints of wine each. <laughs> they heard the shouts of the of Ormond's footmen that the great man was coming, and they poured into the streets. One of Blood's men halted the coach by telling the driver that there was a dead man in the road, so he had to stop. At that moment, the others seized the horses. Did and, he have to? Yeah, like that <laughs> was. He's uh, already dead, so you could just. He you know, either way he no stops. <laughs> either way he stops. His other associates grabbed the horses and they put pistols to the driver's head, telling him to stop. Blood pulled Ormond from the coach and threatened to pistol whip him. The Duke, not understanding that this was an assassination, not a robbery, offered them all a bribe of over a thousand pounds to release him. It was refused. Blood tied the Duke to his son's horse, and the whole group rode for Tyburn Hill, which is where common criminals were hanged. Mm. 
They weren't just going to shoot him in the street. They were going to hang him like a common Ooh, criminal. That see that reads personal. Yes, right. Like yeah. that read like like if you want to just like murder someone for money, mm-hmm. you don't give a fuck where it is. You don't get. You know what I mean? Like you're yep. just like whatever works best for me. Mm-hmm. I love how I said that as if I have some level of experience. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, but like I get it. 17th century <laughs> British law. Yeah, well, criminal. I, I think I think I think Kunin's maybe uh, had some personal. Beef vendetta murders with some Venetians. I can see that. <laughs> we don't talk about that. Okay, so uh, while the Duke was old and possibly infirm, he was an old soldier who had spent decades on campaign. He fought against Blood's son tooth and nail, and at one point knocked the pistol from the younger man's hands. Uh, the uh, the Duke then pulled Blood Junior and himself both from the horse and into the mud. As they fought on the ground, a general alarm uh, started to be raised, and Blood Jr. remounted his horse and fired his pistol at the prone Ormond, but missed. The Duke had survived the attempt, but only barely. The two Thomas Bloods met at Tyburn Hill, where the father... Uh, the two Thomas Bloods met at Tyburn, where the father had a rope uh, ready to hang the Duke from the gallows there. But being empty-handed, they fled into the night. A few days later, Colonel Blood got word to his wife and daughters that they had to go into hiding. Now, the Duke had received, quote, a knock over his head, uh, end quote, a sword cut to his hand and multiple bruises from his fall. He was beaten so badly and and he was so filthy that bystanders were only able to identify him as a lord by the order of garter pin on his tunic. Uh, Next to his body was Blood uh, Blood Jr.'s sword and pistol. The whole attack had lasted less than 10 minutes and only a few hundred feet from Charles II's palace at St. James. Wow. So this is from, uh, most of this comes from a book by a guy named Hutchinson, and he says of this attack that, quote, Charles II was incandescent, both at the boldness of the outrage and the fact that it was committed disturbingly near to St. James's palace, end quote. The king ordered close watches placed on all seaports and a reward of a thousand pounds to anyone who offered information on blood or his accomplices. Charles also offered a royal pardon for any conspirator who turned on his fellows. None of them did. So remember, the Duke of Ormond offered a hundred pounds for Charles' blood only Mm -hmm. like a decade before. Charles is now offering a thousand pounds for him. So why did Thomas Blood attempt to hang the Duke of Ormond from the gallows at Tyburn? Certainly, Blood had ample reason to hate the former Lord Lieutenant of Ireland, who had been the author of so much of the financial loss that Blood had suffered over the preceding decade. But there is evidence of a wider conspiracy. It is possible that Blood and his associates were put up to the assassination by another member of Charles's court, the Duke of Buckingham. So there's the possibility, like the evidence is scant, but there's the possibility that another one of Charles's dukes reached out to Blood and like, I know you hate Ormond, I hate Ormond, why don't you hang him from the gallows at Tyburn? This will um, work out for both of us. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Duke of Buckingham hated the Duke of Ormond and is believed to have organized Ormond's recall from Ireland. So the reason Ormond loses his uh, Lord Lieutenancy of Ireland is because of the Duke of Buckingham. Buckingham was ruthlessly ambitious. Uh, he was quarrelsome in the extreme, even fighting with the Duke of York, who's the future King James II. Mm. Uh, uh, Charles's younger brother is the Duke of York. Uh, he was, quote, considered the profligate person of the age and capable of any iniquity, however mean or enormous, end quote. So he's not a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> So I was going to bring this up before, but we kept moving. Yeah. Uh, 
every once in a while you'll give us a quote mm-hmm. and you'll be like the iniquity mm-hmm. of their surpassed <laughs> underlined <laughs> difficulty that <laughs> transpires across time and space <laughs> with the Not time and time is what transpires across the superfluous understanding <laughs> that we all have. And I'm like, what the fuck are you yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about? <laughs> you know, he wasn't a nice guy. He didn't like him. <laughs> but you, you miss... Okay, okay. He was considered the profligate person of the age. Profligate means like he spent a lot of money. Okay. Also in the vocab list at the end of this episode. Yeah, yeah, Incapable no, no, no. No, of... I knew that one. I knew that one. Capable of any iniquity, however mean or enormous. An mean here means... like a sin. Like it's yeah, a bad, a bad thing. thing yeah. And mean here means low and enormous means high. So he was, he was... He spent a lot of money and he was capable of anything mean, both small or large. He was think, not a think, nice guy. I think Dr. Sage, moral scholar, just likes really prolific or like... Grandiloquent quotes. <laughs> is, is, did you just say the word grandiloquent? Yes. Is that a word? It, it is, is a word. God damn. Right. Right. Also on the list. In the <laughs> we all did really well in the SATs. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> is there a grandiloquent? <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely won't replace that A with a U. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sage Scholar <laughs> Dr. Sage Scholar Moral Pants gets mad at me when I moral say pants. that word. <laughs> I spent six months in Australia and I'm still not comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah, you can't. Yeah, so dude. Buckingham They are. They are very comfortable. It made <laughs> yeah. me extremely uncomfortable. Uh so <laughs> <laughs> So Buckingham's own father had been a favorite of James I and had been assassinated. Uh, Thus it was that the Duke had grown up with Charles II and his brother James. Uh, He'd fought in the English Civil War and even fought well, apparently fighting off six parliamentary cavalrymen all by himself. So he fought on the side of King Charles I. Uh, When the war ended, he went into exile with Charles II in France. And in 1660, he returned to England with his king and was almost always in favor with the king. That's not always true. There's times where he's out of favor. And while he held very few actual posts, he never has, like, a title as, like, you know, Lord Treasurer, this Chancellor. Is, you talk about the Duke of Buckingham? Yeah, the Duke of Buckingham. He never has any actual titles, but he possessed a great deal of soft power, and he was aided in this by the fact that his sister was one of Charles II's many mistresses. Ooh. Oh, nice. So now he got, he got some real God insider damn, info. Can you imagine having to do that? Like, to go up to your sister and be like, listen... <laughs> Next time you're fucking that guy, maybe he'll whisper a little something, something to you. <laughs> about, about tax policy and tariffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just slip in some good word. Good he comes out. He, he comes out of. He comes out. He's like, I, you know, for whatever reason, I'm feeling like a reduction in tariffs is in order. Yeah. No, I oh, just, just whisper into his ear. Lower the tax rate on trade. <laughs> <laughs> like, All right, I'll do that. I'll do that. My dick's hard, so I'll do that right now. So like, the thanks, sis. Like, could <laughs> you imagine yeah. like, asking? It's weird. <laughs> and and apparently, so his weird. sister is also like very powerful in the court. She ends up having titles. What's her name? I don't remember, and I didn't have it here. And no. I'm sorry. I feel All bad. right. So previously, because I uh, misgendered uh, the woman who. 
inspired the episode. Inspired the episode. Mm-hmm. I was the sexist one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's Doctor History. Yeah. I'm Like, I passed the torch of sexism <laughs> because you don't even remember her name. How no, dare you? So the record is unclear. <laughs> the record is unclear whether or not Buckingham was behind the attempt on Ormond in December 1670. But uh, someone We're who was implied it was yeah. But someone who was not under any illusion was Ormond's son. So the Duke of Ormond's son definitely believes that Buckingham put blood oh. in his associates up to it. A few weeks after the attempt, Ormond's son, in front of the king, confronted Buckingham at court. He said, quote, "My lord, I know well that you are at the bottom of this late attempt of bloods upon my father." Therefore, I give you fair warning that if my father comes to a violent end by sword or pistol, or if he dies by the hand of a ruffian or by the more secret way of poison, I shall not be at a loss to know who the first author of it. I shall consider you the assassin. I shall treat you as such, and whenever I meet you, I shall pistol you, through, though you stand behind the king's chair, end quote. Basically, yeah. he goes... He's basically saying, I'll kill the fucking yeah, king. Yes. Yeah, 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 yes. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. You can't hide behind the Dual king. Style. I know it's you. You're the one who did this. Now, unfortunately, neither Buckingham nor Charles' reaction to this outburst did are they recorded. Have duels, they, did. they did. They did okay. have duels, and there are there's there is no uh, duel ever recorded between Ormond's son and Buckingham. And apparently, Buckingham was the kind of guy who went in for duels. Mm. So, like, it's possible. It's like, you are fuck with me. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> he was, yeah, yeah, he was ready to like show yeah. up. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So now, part three: the most audacious of crimes. With the execution of King Charles I in 1649 and the declaration of a commonwealth, the Parliament viewed the crown jewels as an irrelevant but potentially dangerous reminder of the past. Thus, Parliament ordered, quote, that they melt down the gold and silver of them, the jewels, and to sell the jewels for the best advantage of the commonwealth, end quote. The gold and silver were turned into coins and the jewels were auctioned off to the highest bidders. The money raised was used for the maintenance of the commonwealth navy. Huh. So the crown jewels at that time in 1649 consisted of the St. Edward's crown, uh, crown renamed Alfred the Great's crown, uh, and according to Hutchinson, with not even a nod towards historical veracity, they were melted down. So St. Edward was St. Edward the Confessor, who's the patron mm-hmm. saint of English kings, oh. um, but he is a Catholic saint, so when the Protestant Reformation occurred, they renamed that crown Alfred the Great's crown. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the crown of St. Edward's wife, Queen Edith, was also melted down. The Tudor state crown, which had been created by Henry VII, it contained 28 diamonds, 19 sapphires, 37 rubies, 168 pearls. Its destruction raised 1,100 pounds or 128,000 pounds at today's prices. A gilt Anglo-Saxon comb that was melted down. A vessel for holy oil from 1399, which escaped. Damn. And a silver spoon from the 1200s, which also escaped. When Charles II came to the throne in 1660, he needed new royal regalia. His Mm. government spent 31,978 pounds (laughs) for new royal accoutrements. Jesus. (laughs) Fucking such a rich person. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Oh, we threw out everything else that we have. We'll just buy new ones. We'll just buy new ones and it'll be fine. This, right? this over-focus on like pomp and circumstance mm-hmm. is just yeah. ridiculous. Uh, so of that, 12,000 pounds were for coronation regalia. Charles' new crown jewels consisted of two new, quote, imperial crowns. Uh, so the first was a new St. Edward's crown, 
that was to be used in the coronation. The second was, quote, to be worn after his coronation before his majesty's return to Westminster Hall, end quote. The second crown contained the Black Prince's ruby, which weighed over 170 carats, which is 34 grams or 1.2 ounces in freedom units, um, <laughs> and, is and is described as being the size of a chicken egg. That's, wow. Wait, so, so is this the one that continued to the present? No, I don't think so. Uh, uh, there was a gold orb topped with a cross, three scepters, a ruby ring, a pair and a pair of golden spurs. Spurs, spurs, spurs for his for his yeah, horse. No, yeah, no, I get, I know yeah. what spurs are for. Yeah, no, but like they had to be gold for his coronation. Because if you're gonna kick your horse with something it's and make it be bleed, high class. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, was it used outside of the coronation no. ceremony? Yeah, you use it once and then you never use it again. Oh my god! Yeah. This, That's how um, monarchies this work. This is why I love the French Revolution. <laughs> 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 so we're going to use that a bunch of times. We're going to sell it, then we're going to take the money. And then so historically, the crown jewels have been kept at Westminster Abbey, but the suspicious Henry VII had moved them to the Tower of London. Henry VII and VIII had gradually increased security. But by the time of the Merry Monarch, Charles II, security had been greatly reduced. This is again according to Hutchinson. Perhaps in the fallacious belief that no patriotic Briton would ever dare touch the sacred crown of the newly restored sovereign. End quote. <laughs> it is more likely that security was lax because Charles II was perpetually broke. Just mm. constantly didn't have enough money. Wait, he was broke despite investing all this money into yes. this bullshit. Yes. Uh, <laughs> a lot of IOUs. Yeah, a lot of IOUs. He's basically Hunter Biden. <laughs> Did he leave a bag of cocaine in the Tower of London? I'm just wondering. They hadn't discovered... Well, they had discovered cocaine because they'd been to America. <laughs> uh, but I don't think they were using it yet. I don't think they'd Not figured yet. it out. They hadn't uh, unlocked that. that, that I, it's, like another, it's like another 150 years before people just start mainlining cocaine. Mm. No, no, no. It's 150 years before a lot of people. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, 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 if you're the first people to find the coca leaf, and like, you're like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, wait, wait a second. We can just have this. <laughs> we can just have it forever. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And then eventually it gets to the plebs, and then it's yeah. a whole problem. That whole discovery oh, process yeah. must have been one hell of a ride. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, some, holy shit, this stuff is great. <laughs> some noble in fucking 1682 is just like, I just invented dubstep. <laughs> <laughs> I just want a party right now. So in 1664, the crown jewels were moved from the White Tower, which is the keep of the Tower of London. Mm -hmm. and uh, and that, that is from 1066, William the Conqueror. <laughs> Until they brought the White Tower to the New America, the New World, or whatever, for the cocaine. Uh, oh, God. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> so, like Yemekar say. Yeah, so, 
they moved it from the the keep uh, to Martin's Tower, which is part of the inner curtain well wall uh, at the northeast corner. Uh, Martin's Tower was built in the 13th century and had previously been used as a prison. The royal regalia was stored in a recess in the wall of the basement of the tower, uh, behind two hinged doors uh, that were had cross wire. Uh, over it that was its only protection there's like it's not a vault it's no lock wait wait it's only protection is like being put in a secret place not it's not a secret place we're gonna get to that it's not secret it's in the tower of london but the tower of london is not secret well obviously the tower of london is a secret the Duke of Ormond had wrangled... I'm getting to that. The Duke of Ormond... Because, again, the Tower of London in the 1660s is very different than the Tower of London today. Oh. Uh, the Duke it of Ormond... He doesn't or- have a gift shop. We don't have actors dressed up as... They're not British oh, guards. Those guys aren't actors. They get real... Balancing on a fucking pole and trying to get tips. That guy, th- those guys get real mad at you if you call them actors. Because, like, they're all former British army. Like that's that no, is no. I mean, like the tourist guides. Oh like, the no, people like, that are dressed up. Like, no, like the, the guys in the the beef eaters. No, I know those guys are former British soldiers. Mm-hmm. All of them. Oh yeah, like you they're the all guides that at the Tower of London in the fancy because I went to uniforms. The Tower of London. Yeah, yeah, those are all former British soldiers. Oh yeah, yeah. But that being said, as a former British soldier in the modern era. They all fought in Afghanistan. Nah, you're kind of an actor. <laughs> uh, the guy that, that guy they didn't that, all fucking fight in the Afghanistan. The guy, the guy we talked to had served in the Royal Artillery in Afghanistan. Mm. So, like, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to. They were him. like fighting behind the Americans, basically. Mm. No, it's only like six. Of them. The Americans yeah, no. were like they're human shields. Yeah, like, yeah. again, art- you're fighting for the artillery. I don't know. In a, in an insurgency. Eh. Every, everyone in an insurgency is a frontline soldier. That's the nature of insurgency. That's true. That's true. So anyway, uh, the Duke of Ormond had wrangled the job of master and uh, of master and treasurer of the Jewel House for a man named Sir Gilbert Talbot, who happened to be a man who had attempted to take Colonel Blood's estates in Ireland. Like, this is a happenstance. So literally, he's like, that motherfucker <laughs> who tried to take my shit now... Is now- is now in charge of the crown jewels. <laughs> now, Sir Gilbert found Martin's Tower uncomfortable, so he subcontracted the job to a man named Talbert Edwards, who was 77 years old. Edwards was a former soldier, and he moved into the tower with his wife and daughter, right? Because he's like, this is great. I have a house now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's free. It's yeah, free. Edward yeah. also had a son who was serving as a soldier overseas in Flanders, right? So uh, Edwards has a son. Now the position of master of the uh, master and treasurer of the jewel house was supposed to be paid for by the government. Now Talbert asked the government for his salary, right? The 77-year-old asked for it. But the government said it was Sir Gilbert's problem because the knight had brought Edwards on, and Sir Gilbert said it was the government's problem since Talbert was working for the king. In the end, Talbert never saw a penny of his government salary. Yeah, I was going to say, you're literally describing my fucking Peace Corps workman's compensation <laughs> claim. Yep. Like, it's very, yep. No, it's their problem. <laughs> no, it's their problem. No, it's their problem. So, just, yeah, so yeah. to supplement his income, uh, he allowed, uh, instead, he supplemented his income by allowing tourists to see the crown jewels for a fee. <laughs> King Charles II knew about this practice and did not object. The crown jewels became a common tourist attraction by 1670, and it allowed the Edwards family to make a comfortable living. So, so at this point, I want all the viewers to start picturing Mr. Blood 
mm-hmm. as George Clooney from Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> I just, it's time to say, this is where we make that transition. Colonel Thomas Blood decided to steal the crown jewels. <laughs> this system offered Blood, uh, again, according to Hutchinson, quote, a golden chance to make money and to cock an impudent snook at the government and the establishment, end quote. Hell Hutchinson's yeah. British, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Blood gathered a crew, son of a bitch, I mean. These <laughs> yeah, inc- yeah. <laughs> this is an Ocean's Eleven scheme. Right? Son of a bitch, I mean. These included his son. Uh, it also included an Irish actress, Jenny Blaine, to play his wife. His actual wife was was actually quite ill at this point. Mm. Uh, and most of the Duke of Ormond assassination squad, so most of the guys who did, helped him try to kill the Duke of Ormond, they come on as uh, to help steal the crown jewels. And then there's some new men. All of the new men were fifth monarchists and former soldiers. Every single one of the new guys is a religious fanatic yeah, and yeah. former soldier. So, I'm sorry, you may have said this, but mm-hmm. why, what did they want? If, or was it financial or was it just like to humiliate the the monarchy both we could do both at the same time okay right um so the plan was relatively simple blood disguised himself as a pastor uh while mrs well miss blaine would play his wife he and his crew visited the tower of london to observe the layout of the castle and the location of the jewels you could just walk in yeah yeah um while they were visiting the jewel room miss blaine suffered a bout of quote illness and Blood asked Mr. Edwards to fetch some spirits to revive her. Blood thanked Edwards profusely and returned a few days later with gifts as a thank you. So he's ingratiating himself yeah, yeah. with the guy who's uh, in charge of it. The Bloods and Edwards became friends uh, with the heist crew returning to the tower multiple times to visit their, quote, friends. Yeah. Finally, Blood insinuated that Talbert's daughter ought to marry his son. Edwards agreed, and Blood said he would bring his son around on the following Tuesday. On the last day, uh, on that last day at the at the Martin Tower, Blood noticed two pistols on the wall, and told Talbot he was taken with them. Thought they were really nice. He offered to buy the two pistols, which again, Talbot doesn't have an actual income, so he right, agrees. Right. There were now no weapons in the tower that contained the crown jewels. None. There are no weapons in that tower. No, you could see from a criminal perspective where he's like, because they're casing. Yeah. Every time they show up, they've got their kids. They're doing their, they're casing the place, right? They're seeing what are your threats? What are your opportunities? What's like a dumb thing they're doing? What's a smart thing they're doing? They're casing, right? And, and he sees those two pistols. He's like, I want to buy those pistols. <laughs> yep. right, can I get them from you? Like a week before we got to do something, do a real important thing. Like that's, yeah, that's a good, yeah. cri- he's a good criminal. Mm-hmm. Give it up for blood. <laughs> On Tuesday, May 9th, 1671. <laughs> Blood's 11? Is this like- <laughs> Blood's 11. <laughs> at seven in the morning, Blood and his crew arrived at the Tower of London. All of the crew carried sword canes and pistols. Furthermore, they had horses waiting outside along the river for their escape. Now, Blood told Edwards that his son was a few minutes late, and while they were waiting, they should take some time to show his friends the crown. Mm. Some of his friends who hadn't seen it. Let's go, let's go yeah, visit the crown jewels. Yeah, show so it pretty. off. Once in the room with the jewels, the crew slammed the door shut and threw a cloak over Edwards' head and gagged him. They bent the wires and grabbed the crowns. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I just picture them throwing like a towel on his head and him being like, where am I? What happened? Just happened. From that point, that's what I do to my toddler. I'll like throw a fucking blanket on his head and he'll giggle. And totally like, disoriented. You're going to love the next couple of sentences. While they were stealing the jewels, Blood threatened to kill Edwards if he made noise. But being an old soldier, he shouted for his family. Blood and his crew began beating him about the head and put a dagger to his throat. All right, I don't love that. Yeah, like how he's dare seventy-seven you? years old. Yeah, I don't like it's that elder at abuse. All. When, well, why did you say that I would love that? <laughs> I, it was sarcasm. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> so, so when Telbert kept screaming, they stabbed him in the stomach and thought him dead. The thieves smashed the Imperial State Crown flat so they'd be able to, one, fit it into the bag they brought with them, and two, pry loose the gemstones. Thomas Blood Sr. hid the gold orb in his trousers. While Thomas Blood Jr. <laughs> well, he he fit in. He hid an orb. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, dude, you yeah. really that bad. I could definitely hide big. this under that bulge in your pants. I was that you born just with had. three tests. <laughs> One's made of gold. Uh, now, it's heavier than the other. So, so Thomas Blood Jr. was going to put the scepters into his sack, but the scepters were too long and had to be filed down in order to fit. So they have to like cut them in half. So all the while, Talbot bled onto the floor and pretended to be dead. Uh, May 9th, 1671 was the worst possible day for the robbery, as it was the day that Talbert Edwards' son came home from 10 years of overseas military service. (laughs) His arrival cut short the heist, and they had to leave behind the gemstones that had been dislodged from the crown, and to leave behind the scepters that were being filed apart. As they fled, cries went up of, quote, treason, murder, the crown is stolen, end quote. The guards of the Tower of London began to respond. As Blood and his crew made it to the gate... Well, at least it was quick. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> at least they weren't sleeping yeah. like the whole time. as blood and his crew made it to the gate a guard ordered them to halt when they failed to do so the guard fired his musket but he missed so blood senior fired back he also missed yeah, well, before anyone could reload they ran out of the castle into their horses blood and his companions added to the confusion by shouting quote stop the rogues end quote as they ran the combination of these shouts and the fact that Blood was still wearing clerical garb caused many bystanders to think that the Blood Party was innocent. Right? So they're like running out being like, attacking someone is attacking the Tower of London yeah. and stealing the jewels. It's definitely not us. Never mind the bulge in my pants. And- <laughs> Look out for Catholics. That's, that's like a Monty Python like shit. Like <laughs> There's Catholics trying to rob you right now. Watch out for the Catholics. Watch, watch out for their popery. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Devilish popery. <laughs> so outside the Tower of London, one of the guards overtook Blood, who pulled a second pistol and missed yet again. This <laughs> guy of these muskets. muskets. I was so excited to be related to this guy. <laughs> now I just I don't know I don't know how I feel. He missed? No, no, the guard missed him as he oh, shot at him. The guard oh, I pulled he a pistol. missed the guard. Uh, overtook Blood, uh, and, and and so this guard and the colonel had a tug of war over the crown. <laughs> They're trying to both pull in on the crown, uh, which Blood lost. Uh, as the colonel was being arrested, it. he told his captors, quote, it was a gallant attempt, however unsuccessful, but it was for a crown, end quote. All of the jewels were returned and most of the crew were captured, so they don't get anything. Oh. Blood was locked up in the Tower of London with his son. One of the king's ministers wrote to a friend, quote, the attempt of this morning to steal the crown is one of the strangest any story can tell. 
But considering God is pleased to make us masters of blood, it is ten times the value to his majesty, even of the crown itself, so desperate a traitor this fellow is. God's goodness be praised for it, end quote. So basically one of the king's ministers is like, capturing Thomas' blood is worth ten times more than the crown is. Like the fact that we've got this guy because yeah, he's caused so many problems for but us. Was he? He was on their side. Yeah. But he was like too far on yeah. their side. So like he was like that guy that like you're like, oh, I might have to fight, and that guy's like, I'll fucking rip their tongues yeah, out. Yeah. You're like, no, whoa, 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 so whoa just knock him out a little bit. Yeah. Like, you don't need. So he was he was on their he was a inconvenient ally he was too far right well it wasn't and it isn't even it's not like left right like the political dichotomy saudi arabia (laughs) a little bit but like also he was it was a question of like these guys he had fought for them 10 years before and now he was inconvenient it's almost Mm. like a rambo thing like uh, they had made him disgruntled uh, yeah, yeah you know did he ever bet. look at them and say you drew first blood it's never over it's never over <laughs> he wants to win this time yeah, yeah, yeah. um but anyway <laughs> yeah but. so conclusions colonel thomas blood demanded an audience with king charles ii it is unknown it is unknown why charles granted it it may have been a whim it may have been curiosity it may have been the work of the Duke of Buckingham. Like, all of these are possibilities. When in the presence of the king, Blood refused to name any of his co-conspirators. hey Either for the jewel... Stitches he- get stitches. Everybody knows <laughs> yeah, that yeah. shit. Yeah. Either for the jewel heist or for the attempt on the Duke of Ormond. He did confess to the attack on Ormond. He's like, yes, I did do that. When asked why he attempted to steal the crown jewels, he stated that he stole them as revenge for his losses in Ireland. Blood was shocked to learn that the jewels had been uh, that had been in his possession ever so briefly were worth about six thousand pounds, not the hundred thousand pounds he had been led to believe. During the interview, Blood claimed to have knowledge of and to have participated in a half dozen plots to kill and/or overthrow Charles. In the agreement, in the end, he agreed to be a spy for the government on anti-government and non-conformist organizations in exchange for a pardon and a pension of five hundred pounds per year. <laughs> The king also Wait, he became like a paid informant. Yes. Yeah. The king also demanded and blood provided an apology to the Duke of Ormond. It was a confusing act for those past and present. Sir Robert Southwell, the Privy Council clerk, said, quote, Blood, the same villain, attempted to steal the crown and was taken with it. Yet he was pardoned and a pension given to him, which is a mystery that few can decipher. End quote. Right? So it's very confusing. It's confusing to us now, but it was confusing to people then that Blood was pardoned. Blood was not a terribly good spy. He was too loud and showy. He was too well known, both at court and in the country. And too many people knew about his pardon and thus could not, and, and thus could put two and two together. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I, I, I like to imagine him being in the room with other people who are like trying to conspire and he's like, what are you going to say? Uh, can you say that into the mic? Uh, <laughs> I need to write that down. Can you spell your name again? Real clear. What's your address? Uh, no reason. Uh, Talbert Edwards died shortly afterwards of his wounds, never having been given a real reward by the king for his service. The crown jewels would be far more secure going into the future. In the end, Blood died in 1680 after a short illness. 
he was broke upon his death because of the defam- because of a defamation lawsuit from the Duke of Buckingham for ten thousand pounds. Jesus, Ugh. why is that guy being such a dick? Because yeah. yeah. he was. Just, uh, uh, that, there's nothing that makes me more mad than when like a a established person, a a, a gentry, an aristocrat, high, aristocrat or gentry, mm-hmm. and they're like, "You've wronged me." Right, like in some petty way or whatever, like you've wronged me, and uh, all right, so <laughs> listeners, I may have hit the microphone, <laughs> but I, I just I I hate it so much because it'll be like you've wronged me in this tiny little way, mm-hmm. right? Like my life is a little bit more inconvenient because of you. So I'm going to destroy your life. <laughs> right? like, now, like your now, wife's <clears throat> going to leave you. Your kids are going to hate you. You're going to want to kill yourself for the next 15 fucking years. And that's such a like, it's such a fucking bourgeois yeah. thing to do. Yeah. Like, it's just like, oh, you wrong gonna... me. I will destroy you, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the Duke of Buckingham sues him for 10,000 pounds for defamation. No, oh, do you win? Uh, I, I, I think he does win, but he doesn't get his money because... Blood doesn't no, no, have ten thousand no, no, pounds. I, no, I'm not the Duke of Buckingham. <laughs> no, yeah, Blood loses. That yeah, yeah, yeah um, and Blood dies, and he's buried in London. However, in death, Blood confounded, and so many rumors swirled about London that the wily Colonel was still alive, and that the authority that the authorities exhumed his body after death to demonstrate that yes, he was. Well and truly, no longer among the living. <laughs> uh, that's, okay, that's pretty bad. <laughs> Blood never dies. And so, an 18th century biographer said of the colonel, quote, So high was Blood's fame for sagacity and, trip and intrepidity. He was believed capable of undertaking anything his passion or interest dictated, no matter how desperate or difficult. He was so brave and cunning, he could do whatever he wanted. <laughs> so wait, he kind of become <laughs> like, after he dies, he kind of becomes a hero? Is he? Is, it's kind of, it, to a certain kind of person. He's kind of remo- sep- romanticized a little bit? He's somewhat romanticized, and you have to remember that, like, one of the things that is somewhat uncomfortable about, like, the like are you uh, the the concept of wig history like the idea that that history moves in a in a in a in an ordered path towards greater freedom and yeah, liberalism yeah. Mm-hmm. that's wig history the, the, the history bends in the arc of justice yeah, i'm sort of fucking thing. that yeah. up yeah, yeah. that I'm that i in that in that historiography blood is a part of the group of people that would eventually like one of the deeply uncomfortable pieces of yeah, of this is that so he's romanticized by Whigs, is that what kind of because the people who attempted to overthrow kings are kind of the first liberals, mm-hmm. even as right. they are religious fanatics. Yeah, who, even if their you know reasons for it is not what they. Uh, yeah, like with. so when you're if you are a Whig in the middle of the 1700s, before the American Revolution, before the French Revolution, mm-hmm. and you're trying to look for someone who even remotely recently attempted to thwart the power of kings, mm-hmm. the only people you have are a bunch of like dissident <laughs> religious yeah. fanatics a hundred yeah. years before. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, when we talked about the uh, crossing of the Delaware, so many British Whigs 
supported the American Revolution mm. uh, during that war because even if they, you know, were sort of tepid in Parliament, you know, not they, you know, they voted yes on taxes and sending yeah, troops, sure, but at sure. home they would be like, I think George Washington's the greatest man of the age. Like mm. they would say things like that in private mm. because they were like, that's that's what we want, right? There were lots of Whigs who were like, we want a republic. We don't mm. think that we should have a monarchy because mm. it's kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, and wait, 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 wait. But when has a monarch ever steered a country wrong? Like when <laughs> so many times. So just that, all yeah. of the times. Like 75% of the time. Because even the ones who steer it right, you know, again, like their wife like dies. like Catherine the Great. And, but even, uh, even like when you get to people like that, because we've had this conversation yeah, about yeah, Ivan yeah. the Terrible, like that his name is somewhat mis, uh, mm-hmm. somewhat mistranslated. But like. He was a good ruler until like something happened, and then he became a bad Terrible. ruler after it. Like it happened. No. And, right, well, but even but even if we ignore that one, like Edward the First, Longshanks, right from mm-hmm. from yeah. from Braveheart, like <laughs> like he's it recently the most he's, accurate depiction. No, but, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we so, love here at Laughing Historically. We love Braveheart. We think Braveheart. I think is two, so good. Two thirds of us love Braveheart. <laughs> the third that counts doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but Edward the First is considered was considered like a good. The third that counts. <laughs> That's Dr. History Scholar. If you're wondering who the third is, that counts. It's him. All right. Moral protector of the podcast. <laughs> but 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 Edwin the First was considered like a good and just ruler for the first like 10, 15, 20 years of his reign, and then his wife dies. Uh, and that, like, he becomes a lot more withdrawn. He becomes a lot more arbitrary. He becomes a lot more vindictive. Like, it's it's almost as though, like, so when I when I say that, like, one of the things that is is interesting about, um, like, democracies when they put in term limits for uh, executives, like your chief executive, is you're preventing the chief executive from being in power so long that a personal tragedy snaps him <laughs> right. and he becomes yeah. a tyrant. Like right. it's almost, and I think it was an it's, accident. No, it's interesting. You yeah. they want to capture the sweet spot. Of yeah, their like life. eight like, years. At their eight years peak. is about as yeah. long as you can be trusted with chief executive authority before <laughs> yeah. you're going to Over start the most being powerful nation. I guess you yeah. could be chief executive of like Podunk nowhere, and after eight years, you're going to start being a real dick about you're it. Like, like so, who will build? my fuck wing (laughs) (laughs) and like and 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 you know the example and and to use a more to use more modern examples i you remember uh one of our one of our poli sci professors Mm -hmm. would refer to vladimir putin uh as the pot and this was back in like 2009 2010 he'd refer to vladimir putin as the russian de gaulle russia's charles de gaulle Mm -hmm. now i think in 2010 that might have been an accurate description but the thing is, is that well, de Gaulle, Charles well, de Gaulle can just like fucking like metamorphosize into Hitler. Like, he's like that can't happen. Yeah, but that's then, but that's exactly my point. De Gaulle is in power from 1958 to like either 69 or 70. Mm-hmm. Wow. And and he the reason he leaves power is that a referendum that he had put forward is like, I want the president to have more power. Mm-hmm. And the people mm-hmm. of France vote no. Yeah. And in, he very, I think very easily could have been like, you know what, I reject the people's decision. And I reserve this power to myself and mm-hmm. essentially stage a self-coup. And instead he resigns. Mm-hmm. He just is like, okay, fine, I'm going to retire. Right? Like, and sort of he 
he broke like because Charles de Gaulle is a real annoying person like yeah. if you read about yeah, he's yeah. a piece of shit really, in a lot of ways but like that. that moment right there like he ruined all his D groups but like he but like he saved french democracy in in, 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 the, in the procedural sense like twice like he stopped a military coup in 1961 hmm. uh that he very that was initially pro de gaulle yeah. uh and he's like i don't want it i don't mm-hmm. want the military to overthrow the government even mm-hmm. if i'm still in charge and then again by resigning and like mm-hmm. that idea of being like you know what it's time to go home right like it's, i've, I've it's done my Cincinnati. bit yeah, yeah it's that and but it's it's hard to get people to do that voluntarily yeah. so like having a term limit of some variety for chief executive <laughs> seems like a good idea that's fair that's fair so, so lessons learned from today's episode. Ooh. Don't commit genocide in Ireland. So I didn't learn that lesson. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I C- took couldn't from actually this. think about reconsidering his last name. Like, it seems really easy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it's not that hard. Of a thing. <laughs> Don't do it. I, I think Cudin's I I reconsidering his ties to the blood family line. Yeah, that's definitely happening. I was <laughs> so excited. Do you guys remember how excited I was? Like, oh, yeah, I might be related to this person. You know, like, oh, I might be related to this person. <laughs> <laughs> Tone and intonation mean a lot. <laughs> oh, I might be related to this person who would be like a Nazi before the Nazis were. <laughs> maybe, maybe, right? It's 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 always hard. To, it's always hard to we, say. We love a good religious zealot. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's. I will say that's something that I think is very interesting about the development of a lot of different countries is that you have these like. And I mean, what, it was the first Great Awakening and then mm-hmm. the second Great Awakening yeah. in America, if I remember. We talked yeah, about this yeah, before. Yeah. But, like, you have these, like, movements of religi- uh, religiosity. Re- yeah, yeah, religiosity. And, and like, there's so much good mm-hmm. that tends to come from them. They're like, hey, you know how everyone drink so much they can't function yeah, we like should maybe, maybe we should stop yeah. like we should drink. like slavery yeah you know how we hold people common like you know how we hold other human people in bondage perpetually right maybe not and that's that, women I've, maybe should have rights maybe. i don't just i mean and, some of them yeah 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 and that's that. such an to me that's such an interesting dynamic we have right like mm-hmm. because like like the abortion debate mm-hmm. is another very good example yeah. of that where you have People who would ostensibly be very liberal, mm-hmm. very socially liberal, mm-hmm. essentially Catholics, yeah. right? Like they're like, oh, we don't care. Like we, don't, you know what I mean? Like give money to the poor yeah. and support whatever, whatever. But then you say, what about gay marriage? Mm-hmm. What about abortion? They go, uh, yeah. you know what I mean? And 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 that that I don't know that dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's so interesting to me, well, right? Because it, because here's we we talked about the, the blood guy. Mm-hmm. Where he's hard in the paint, mm-hmm. hard in the paint for the king, mm-hmm. and for just like being as English as English people can be English, mm-hmm. right? In, in Ireland, the, yep, you're right. In <laughs> Ireland, which is actually English as, people, as English as you can get. Yeah, it's true. It's it's, true. You can only be your most English outside of England. Yeah, in Ireland, you have to be in Wales, Scotland, Ireland, or. India. Well, actually, you need to be oppressing Irish people to be English. <laughs> or Welsh or Scottish in, in, Interesting people. fact, English people are actually more
more English when they're in other countries yeah. subjecting people to like their <laughs> do you know, do you like, know like if you're in England you're not that English but if you're in South Africa telling you're people very yeah, English. Yeah, the most English do you know why have. do you know why the heir to the throne is the Prince of Wales why because when Wales when Wales was an independent country mm-hmm. it's it styled its rulers as Prince of Wales so when Edward the first crushed a rebellion there he went fine my son is now the Prince of Wales, mm. and the eldest son of the English kings for eternity will hold the title Prince of Wales. That is why the the oldest son is the Prince of Wales. God damn it, that's stupid. <laughs> that's the dumbest thing I've ever like, like, oh, I'm going to organize a society. And you're like, that's not how you should organize a society at all. It seemed like blood wasn't necessarily, like, he, he had the religiosity, whatever, mm-hmm. but it also, he seemed like he was motivated by his land. Like, he, he was, he, like, he was a little bit bitter, he was. I think, resentful yeah, for getting that shit for taken sure. from him. Yeah, he was. Like, and, and maybe the religiosity aspect of it was, like, a cloak for that well, and, to justify, and, and I, you know, and, getting his shit back. And there's also, and, and, and that might be, but it's also, um, there, it, in particular, with this sort of this non-conforming Protestant line of, of thinking, especially in the 1600s, there was the idea that wealth and, and status were signs of God's favor. <laughs> so that yeah. if his... So that, that hasn't changed. Um, there's a, there's the still... There's still a, I mean, that's prosperity. And so you can imagine that a deeply religious person if, if in that mindset, be in that mindset, you're a deeply religious person, you believe that wealth and status uh, is a sign of God's favor. In 1650, uh, Thomas Blood must have believed that he was the most blessed man yeah. in existence. He had they gone were denying from, him uh, what was rightfully his that, by that, God. That like, God had given him. Yeah. God had ordained yeah. him. Yeah. Or at the very least, it might have been God is punishing me and I must atone for that punishment. Yeah, yeah. And by atoning for that punishment, I must kill the king. Right, or I must kill the Duke or, of Ormond. Or as many fucking like Catholics as I possibly can, yeah. right? Which like, he like, didn't actually do a whole lot of killing no, Catholics, no, but, but yeah. I, yeah. But you see what yeah. I'm saying, Exactly. it's like, oh, okay, if I'm going to do atonement from my particular like like mm-hmm. worldview, yeah. my atonement means attacking these particular people. people and, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so, you know, and this is, this is we've talked about this before, I, I think that, we shouldn't downplay in this particular case. We shouldn't downplay his his religiosity, um, and his and the, and his fervor because again, I think there's there's enough evidence to suggest that like he did believe this he stuff. Was a true believer, he, he was. was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, at the same time, there are true believers who will justify will just yeah. will have that and that will sit next well. to yeah. it will sit next to their self interest yeah. quite comfortably. Their their um, desire to conquer yeah. is very convenient. And and, and, yeah. and I mean that that's all about you know taking when, over the Americas. Well, I mean, yeah. And when we yeah. talked about the Crusades. Right when we talked about the yeah. Fourth Crusade, like some of the leaders of the Crusade were made uncomfortable by attacking Zara and attacking Constantinople, mm-hmm. and others were like, "I still believe in all of the same things I believed yesterday, but I'm really cool with sacking these yeah. places <laughs> and making a lot of money." You know, you know they have a lot of shit, there, right? Like they have a lot of and gold. God tells us we could do it, exactly. so it's a, so it's so like when I literally guys, asked him last night. He told me. He was like, sack Constantinople, Constantinople, and you will 
get deserve a lot of, it. Get a lot of <laughs> every single. Get a lot of gelato when you go back to Vegas. <laughs> you, you get With those winged winged lions. A lot of benefits when you no, get. Heaven. I will get say, if I was a French king, <laughs> sacking Constantinople with the help of the Venetians, <laughs> I am one hundred percent confident that God would have talked to me and said. Don't trust those fucking videos. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's no, they th- pretend like they care. <laughs> but you gotta you know what? Go back and sack them. That's go why that's why them. that's why they'll uh, sell you down to the Mediterranean. That's why <laughs> That's why uh, <laughs> There's there's a king of France who there is a there's a king of France who's a saint, uh, Saint Louis. Saint Louis. Uh, that's why there's places named for him. Really? Yeah. Uh, and he went on a couple of crusades, and he didn't go with Venetians. So yeah, yeah, and he won. No, he died. We are. Right. Well, <laughs> this is an anti-Venetian podcast. <laughs> I think the Venetians had our number the whole time. Like, like the, the Crusades were called, and the Venetians were like, "We're gonna make a lot of fucking money off of this, and we don't actually care." <laughs> they, about I, I think that's I think that's more true than I think you know, <laughs> because and and it wasn't just it, all of the Italian city states like Genoa uh, gotten a lot of this as well, which is that they would provide ships and sailors to crusaders. And when the crusaders would take places, uh, like a, a full quarter of cities would be handed over to either Genoa or mm-hmm. Venice to be like, this is your part of the city now. For taking us here. Yes. Because that's hard and, to and, do. And you're saying, fucking, yeah, a thousand miles away. <laughs> and, and so they would get a quarter of the city and it's like, you get all the tax revenue from that part of the city you know, you get to run your law is the law that is there. Like Genoa and Venice did make a lot. They were very excited yeah. uh, when the, like, uh, the crusaders we get to make the law wherever we want. <laughs> uh, if they take the city, we make the law. So we I, like Italians are essentially the, like the middleman between the, the I mean, of Europe and Italians the, are the, basically <laughs> Jerusalem, the landlords of the world. <laughs> They've dictated who gets to live where and when, and they will get real pissed at you if I don't, you talk back. I don't think that's true. I think the English have been far more landlordy. I mean, up until the 18th century maybe oh that's fair that's fair the the italians invented landlordism yeah. <laughs> and the british was like i think we could do this better we can do that that was a yeah they had better ships. yes quite quite you know we we could be landlords everywhere you know yeah. no, not just in the mediterranean my dear man that's, you know, that's, that's a good one. India, like India, South Africa, you know, any anywhere. Canada even, you know. The trick to being a landlord. <laughs> the, the trick to being a landlord is that you need to not worry about where you are. Because you can be a landlord anywhere if you're in India. <laughs> Or Japan, or China, or South Africa, or the Americas. As long as you have gin, my good man. I like. As long as you have a British accent, you are technically a landlord. That's your your drunk Churchill is my favorite accent. Yeah, yeah, I, I will do more drunk Churchill. <laughs> we'll fucking defend on the beaches. We'll defend on the hedgerows. We'll defend everywhere. 
Because <laughs> I'm Winston Churchill, <laughs> and I've been dictating my drunken speeches to a typist for the last 12 hours, and I need more Scotch. gin. Scotch. Uh, Scotch. Scotch. Scotch and soda. That was his, that was his go-to. Oh. I, pa- I, I, picked, I picked gin. Yeah. <laughs> I actually just wrote a joke today. I actually just wrote a joke today about God. <laughs> oh, good. Can't wait to hear this. <laughs> That's our show, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that is a hundred percent the fucking. So <laughs> can you also like do the outro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening, to laughing historically. That's our show. Follow us uh, on Instagram and Twitter, laughing hist h i s t. If you like the show, subscribe, leave a review, share it with other people. 100% share with other people because that's the thing that people don't understand about podcasts is that like podcasts why are you laughing at me? <laughs> no. I'm just no. laughing about that previous no, but moment. This is, this is absolutely true. Podcasts are a representation of what you like. What mm-hmm. you want to hear about who you want to hear talking yep. or whatever. So totally. when you guys share Right. That means that everyone that you like in your social network is like, oh, I'd love to hear a couple of white men talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not even kidding. So like and share. Uh, we'd love to grow as much as we possibly can. Adam Lax. Yep. And we love doing this show. I'm, I'm your host, Adam Lax. I'm your producer, Adam Coonan. And I am Dr. History, Sage, Moral Scholar, <laughs> Ethics, Defender of the Moral Probity, Michael. Of this podcast. Of this uh, podcast. Of, this, of the world. Of the world. Uh, I don't know. Thank you so much. For That's listening. our show.